And now it's time to bait our hooks, cast our nets, drop our poles in the water, and fish for some jokes with Down on the Dock. Welcome to Down on the Docks, episode 20. My name is Chris Neff, joined as always by my producer and um, co-host, David Dimebag Sarah. <laughs> How are you, buddy? What kind of dime bag? I think What's I just gave bag? it to you. I yeah. just gave it to you. Oh, yeah, dude. You fucking, you rule, dude. I'm pretty, I'm pretty good drug dealer for not having any well, drugs that you, I use myself. It's more of a hoarding thing, I think, because I'm pretty sure I left that here. Yeah, you got That's baked like, and left drugs on yeah, my property. And yeah. you just happen to be without drugs today. Yeah. And then I hand them to you. Yes. And it's probably the best feeling the, ever. Yeah, I was gonna be like, well, this is the first time I'm doing the show sober. Yeah. Well, like, well, you didn't get baked. Maybe. I have the solution for you maybe next my secret santa um man i you know me i do i went deep again oh you always do (laughs) so this uh before we get started we want to say thanks to all the new listeners especially the people that have time to dm me comments telling uh, me what they love about the show what can be improved because we're always on the lookout to get better around here guys like silent dj oh silent dj is great started off as a troll now he's a fan oh was he he wasn't a troll i don't know i just i'm just talking well guys here's the thing if you want to get in touch with us you can find us at down on the docks on twitter uh as well as down on the docks pod at instagram if you want to send a direct email it's down on the docks pod at gmail.com. And more importantly, if you like the show, what do we do, Dave? Five star review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, baby. So crazy how they own the algorithm, but that's the way it works. It's very difficult to make an account there and remember the passwords. There's constant uh, two of uh, 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 two factor authentication. Yep. So, so there's a lot so it, that goes it, in. There's a lot that goes in. So, so the, the reviews really, really, really mean a lot. Let's yep. try to get to 60 by next week. We are. We're, we're at 59. No, we are at 60. Shit. Okay. So just try to get it to 62 next week. Okay. One one review. One review at a time. Okay. I think. Well, because they were very good in the first couple weeks. Yeah. Well, that's because you're a new commodity. Exactly. Everybody wants to help out. So that's why we got to keep it going. But yeah, push us because they do help us, and especially. Uh, you can find the Discord uh, on our LinkedIn bio. It's fun. Yep. We're going to start being there a lot more too, I think. Yeah, it would help. But the other thing <laughs> is I get great recommendations from you guys uh, on which pods to cover. So this week's uh, doc, excuse me, docs to cover. This week's doc is, is titled Voyeur. Ooh. By the way, when I say we're going to be in there more, uh-huh. I mean like in in voice chat. Oh. Like we're, we're constantly in chat chat. But yeah, I'm yeah. saying like hangout, voice chat. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll catch some docs in there some sometime, do some uh, watch alongs. I'm not against it. Sounds great. Um, Back to Voyeur. Voyeur. It was... Uh, my ne- favorite porn search. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is right. Then and you're going to love this episode. It is my favorite adventure. Um, I'm new to voyeurism, yeah. um, but I did watch this documentary. It was on Netflix. It was released in 2017. Now, mind you, I'd seen it back in 2017. Back when the country was normal. Yes. <laughs> um, I also rewatched it about a year ago, and then um, it popped into my mind. I was like, you know, we've been on a creep streak. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Let's yeah, yeah. keep the creep. Let's keep the creep. Let's keep the creep we streak have, going. I mean, we went from uh, we we had we had tickling last week, but then yeah. the week before that was the orgasmic yep. ink. 
we're hitting the we're the trifecta of yeah. creepy right now. And we will get back to some lighter documentaries, but <laughs> the Trinity. I like I said, I remember seeing this and being blown away, and then I rewatched it, loved it again, and I think I'm on my fifth viewing now. Really? Yep. <laughs> Your fifth voyeuring? Yes, yeah. my fifth voyeuring. Anyway, directed by Miles Kane and Josh Corey. Uh, so the way this thing starts out is we meet a uh, an older man by the name of Gerald Foose. Um, he's in his 80s. He's heavy set. He's got a big beard. He's got those big Robert Evans style glasses. The uh, dice glasses. Yeah, they're like dice glasses. But he's being interviewed by very famed and esteemed journalist Gay Talese. Cool. Yep. How did you just go by G? G uh, Talese if I was him. But GT? Okay. Yeah, GT. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is weird. You don't run into people named gay anymore. Not anymore. I mean, it's stigmatized. Yeah. Gay used to just mean happy, the dude. The only person I know that was ever named gay was a friend of my mom. She was a lesbian. <laughs> and the only other time I've seen the word gay used was in the John Houston, I want to say 1961 film, The Misfits. Mm-hmm. And Clark oh, yeah. Gable's Fuck. name Damn. is gay. Gay, yeah. I've totally, wow. So anyway, he is sitting down with gay and he begins to speak over the interview. Uh, we immediately see uh, pictures of an old roadside motel that reads the Manor House Motel. Mm-hmm. Now, I am going to... Is it spelled, M- is it spelled with the E-R or, no, or O-R. O-R? Got it. Uh, yeah, it's not <laughs> so, Mind Your Manor Hotel. Okay, okay, Although, okay. it should be. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, that's you're going to find out why. Foreshadowing. Uh, that's what we do around here. We know all the techniques. Um, so I'm going to... Um, a lot of what we're going to do here is a back and forth between the two of these gentlemen, sure. Foose and uh, Talese. What nationality is Foose and which nationality he, do they look? They're bo- Well, here's the thing. Foose, like I said, heavy set, okay. half fuck. Okay. Um, you know, obviously creepy. Okay. Um, speaks with a weird accent. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use his accent and then gays, I'm just going to talk normal. Okay. So, but gay, <laughs> what you need to know about gay is he's the liter- he's, he's a literary icon. Okay. okay, he came out of the '60s and '70s and new journalism. Um, Are you being sarcastic? No, no, no. Yeah, you don't know about action- new journalism. No. Okay, well, new journalism is a writing style that developed in the '60s and '70s, and it was unconventional at the time. It's characterized uh, by a subjective perspective, a literary style reminiscent of long-form nonfiction, using extensive imagery, reporters, inter um, interpolate subjective language with facts whilst immersing themselves in the stories as they required or as they wrote. So think of like contemporaries would be like Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. Um, Joan Didion, people like, like that. Immersive, like get it, like being empathetic versus sympathetic. But also injecting themselves in the stories, like Truman Capote. Exactly. Like, like that's kind of the in yeah. cold blood. Like you're, yeah, you're, you're, you're walking a mile in their shoes. Yeah, but you're, you're being a part of the story while also oh, I doing see what you mean. Being hard part, nose being reporting the at the story. same I time. See, I see. I see. So, uh, you know, in the other words, not completely objective. Got it. But it became its own style and it's very popular. Interesting. Gay's a celebrity in his own mm. right for the works that he's Sounds done, which we're going to get to. Like but communism. I'm going to start with Foos. Okay. And he says, they couldn't hear me. <laughs> they couldn't see me, but I could hear them and see them. It's been a secret all these years. It's been a secret for 47 <laughs> years. It's, you're doing a lot. You're doing. If I wish we could see you right here, nobody will ever be able to do what I did. I know a lot of people are going to call me a pervert, <laughs> a peeping Tom, 
I'm prepared for that. But I have to tell somebody because I just didn't want to die and it be lost forever. Got it. So titles up, Voyeur. And next we meet Gay. Uh, they're having, you know, a conversation in a What does Gay look like? Like, uh, he, this guy dresses to the nines. He's always in a suit, tie, fedora. Ooh. You know, <laughs> okay. he's, he's, he's a writer's writer. He, he takes sure. the part very seriously. Right. So Gay... He's uh, being a new... What do they call it? New journalist. New journalist. <laughs> so so um, they're sitting in a restaurant and Gay says, uh, the beginning has to get the attention from the reader. Page one, paragraph one, sentence one. How do you begin? I've been a reporter from the time I was 15. I'm 80 now. My life has pretty much been living through other people's experiences and to be, very, uh, to be a very accurate chronicler and observer watching other people and listening. I take my time. And I am genuinely interested in the people I'm writing about because there's something about them that I feel like I can identify with. I live in a brownstone, a small little crowd, in a small little crowded block on the east side of Manhattan. Very beautiful home, by the way. Oh, the brownstone's popular with the journos. Yep. I've always dressed very nicely. Clothes make a difference. My father was a tailor, so he grew up and, you know, his dad tailored his own clothes. And then he takes us into what he calls his bunker inside the brownstone. And he is a meticulous note taker. Mm. So he's got boxes and boxes and files and files and like scrap cutout work of all of his journalistic research that he's done. And I should take a couple pointers for uh, doing yeah, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> he says, with a flip of a page, I could tell you who I was with and who I had dinner with. You know, it's all there. So um, he says the story never ends. The story never dies. A lot of reporters think you know when they leave the story, it's all over. Sometimes it's just the beginning. Wow. So he's pursuing this st uh, story about Gerald Foose, who decided, this is Gerald, he wanted to buy a motel for the express purpose of using it to watch everything that was being done in private. Fuck me. I've heard of this goddamn <laughs> yeah. fucking story. Yeah. It's basically uh, Norman Bates on crack. Yeah. This is like uh, what H.H. H. Holmes did, but yes. the, the creepy version. Yes. Um, and Gay says he could see what people were doing in the privacy of their motel room, looking down through a vent system that gave him full access as he peers through them while sitting in a crouch position. <laughs> Fuck me, dude. So he says, I can't believe the story and says, it's just something you can't make up. So back to the interview, they're, they're both dressed to the nines. And Gay says, Gerald, when do you think you actually became a voyeur? Well, Foo says, I was brought up in a very secluded sexual environment <laughs> where my mom and dad never told me anything about sex. And I had to learn it on my own. And I knew there was more to life and more to sex. I just knew that it had to be more. I, I had told Donna that I was a voyeur. She voyeur. says, isn't that what they call a peeping Tom? And I says, yeah, but I call it voyeurism. <laughs> this guy's got some serious uh, goofy from Disney vibes. Yeah, he's, he's a character. He says, I want to get a laboratory. Oh, fuck me. She said, what? Don't call it that. And I said, I want to I wanna buy a laboratory. I think I know how I'm going to do it, but it has to be absolutely foolproof in so far as anyone ever discovering it. Right. The street was basically built for a tourist trap. 
That's the kind of people that occupied the rooms. I couldn't really find what I was looking for, and all of a sudden I came across the Manor House Motel. And after I looked in that motel, I fell in love with it because it was exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, God. So, so Gay says, describe us what the motel looked like. And Foose continues, well, it had a high-pitched roof where I could walk down the middle. It's and Perfect I, for looking at some I titties. I figured that's where I'd build my observation platform. Yeah, yeah. Took about a year because I didn't want to make any kind of mistakes. Sure. I said, well, I'm going to have to do most of the construction myself because I don't want anybody to find out what I'm doing. Right. What I'm thinking about is... Should have had blind and deaf people doing it for him, <laughs> like the magicians. I'm so saying, he says, I'm saying, I need some kind of louver. <laughs> I didn't know what that word meant. It's like a lounge. No, it's like a, a screen. It's oh. like a, a, you know, like a, a screen that moves. Oh. He said, it's kind of a heat vent, but my whole emphasis was on absolutely private situation that they couldn't hear me. They couldn't see me, but I could hear and see them. <laughs> so right away, you're just fucking like, what <laughs> is this guy yeah, yeah. up to? Now, Gay says, well, you and Donna have been co-owners until her death. And the second marriage with Anita, she filled in adequately as your first wife. What's amazing is that you happen to find two women who were cooperative. So he was married to Donna. And Donna right. died and then found Anita. And she's yeah. like, oh, so this is what you this do. Is, huh? yeah. <laughs> this is what you do. All day, every day, your whole life. So Fu says, maybe somebody might say it was an act of God. <laughs> See, I associate more things with God. How powerful do you have to be to create a universe? I like to think of a supreme being. He could do this, and it vanishes. It's just gone. Gay says, I'm a natural person to write about a voyeur because I've been a voyeur my entire life. He says, as a writer, I want to be inside their private lives. I'm choosing how to tell the story, how we're going to shade it, and how we're going to color, and how we're going to choreograph it. And he says, and here's this weirdo taking it upon himself to build this cathedral of sorts and a little motel to make believe thinks he's going to see great things. A great sexual circus every night. So Gay says, this relationship I had with him starts with a letter. He says, I received this letter on January 7th, 1980. Dear Mr. Talese, since learning of your long-awaited study of coast-to-coast -coast sex in America, which will be included in your published book, Thy Neighbor's Wife, I feel I have important information that I could contribute to its contents or to contents of future books. Finally, he said, if you're interested in reaching me, here's my address. Surely this was the kind of guy I wanted to know more about. Mm -hmm. Fu says, I have, I have so much respect for gay. We have a great relationship and a trusting relationship. To me, he was like a god. Okay, so we're going to flash back to the late 70s, early 80s with Gay's appearance on The Phil Donahue Show. We're going to fill in a little bit of Gay's history. 
So Phil introduces him and says, Mr. Talese is one of America's proudest possessions. As an author, he wrote, among other things, The Kingdom and the Power, uh, the story inside the New York Times. Uh, he also wrote the mafia book, Honor Thy Father. And mm. now you're back again with Thy Neighbor's Wife, an eight-year study of sexuality in America. It was a very big book. Interesting. I, I feel like I've heard about it. Yeah. So Gay makes the rounds on Merv Griffin and Johnny Carson. And we learn... <laughs> Merv Griffin. Yeah, and we learn about how Thy Neighbor's Wife became to be. So we learn that while researching his book, he spent time at a nudist commune in Los Angeles called Sandstone. He became a resident writer in a sexually free society and got to have sex with other people. Uh, meanwhile, he's married. Right. Uh, he says his wife was very unhappy, as you oh. can imagine. We have daughters and, you know, we're known in our community and seemed like I was doing a very reprehensible thing. Well, according to his wife, Nan, she's also among the literary elite. Um, what really minded, uh, what, what she was really worried about, I should say, was the press about it. And her ultimate concern was to protect their daughters and not, you know, have it hurt them. Right. And, you know, obviously, you know, you, you know, your dad's fucking, yeah. you know, I mean, fucking people. around. Sure. Yeah. And if you don't grow up in that kind of a world, then it can be odd and jarring and it can yeah. uh, make you think about different morals and things like yeah. that. If you generally grow, if you grow up in an environment like that, then it's a little different. And I've had multiple people tell me that are older. If you didn't live through the sexual revolution, you would never understand it. Right. And I, I, I think that's true. I don't think we realize how free and open the sex was back then. Right. You know, this is before AIDS. This is before a lot of other sexually transmitted diseases. It right. was a very different time. Yeah, I don't know how Mike didn't get to my mother. She graduated from high school in 1969, and I swear to God, she has three children, and I'm pretty sure she's only had sex three times in her life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think my grandparents were the same way. There's, she, my mother's the, way, the ultimate proof. Do you ever, ever think about like not your grandparents just fucking, but doing like weird shit? Imagine. Do you know what I mean? Like a like my dad, my, my grandpa taking his shit in my grandpa's chest. Well, I don't mean like that <laughs> disgusting, but I mean, did they lick ass back then? I mean. Like, you know? <laughs> but you know that Romans did everything. Let me I'll give you a BJ if you get me in this colored wagon to fucking to that cactus. Right. Get I me mean, to that cactus. I, it often makes me, you know, wonder what our grandparents were like. And then you think about like all the depravity and Caligula, and it's like yeah. that shit's always been around. Sure. But you just can't see your grandparents being right. like Hey, uh, you know, what do you mind? Put if, away in the whips and chains. <laughs> yeah, or sure. just being like, whatever it is. Yeah, it's crazy to think about sometimes. Well, Gay says he sold his soul making that book, but he didn't care because he wanted the story. He says, I would have done anything for that story. I felt I had to. I had to go on record uh, because I was there. I was participating. I wasn't sitting in the press box, you know, and, uh, you know, taking notes from his side. Yeah. Uh, he says, for me, it wasn't a big thing because I had always had the second sense of self. Hmm. Interesting. In another interview, he says, the point is that I wanted the truth. And in this book, being a nonfiction writer or reporter, I went and got the truth. Now, how do you get the truth? Well, you know, again, apparently for him, you get to fuck as many hippies as you want. <laughs> and hopefully truth. you don't bring back crabs to your yeah. life. The truth is in a muff. So he says, you have to participate. You have to go. You have to be there. You know, you can't uh, you can't listen when people say it's what they do. So let's go to Aurora, Colorado. So gay. Home of uh, Wayne's World. 
Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. And Wayne Fest. Okay. Um, oh, Wayne Stock, excuse me. Gay says in 1980, he flew out to see Gerald. He says, I wanted to be sure this guy wasn't lying to me. Uh, as a guest of the voyeur, I was going to be a voyeur. <laughs> I was going to be a companion of the voyeur. I went up one night and I did watch. He said, okay, I'll take you up through the utility room. You go up the ladder and you get to a landing. You go back and there's a locked door. That's a door to the attic and only he had the key. Mm -hmm. So he says, we went inside. He then lo uh, locked the door behind me. And you can start to see the light coming up from certain spots. Ooh. You're hearing television. No. Voices. No, this is weird. Yep. He leaned over one spot where there was a light and he pointed down. This is Gerald. And he looked up uh, upon a very good looking couple gauged in oral sex. And then he made the, hey, <laughs> thumbs up sign. We got, we, we got two working. <laughs> yep. So he says, I leaned closer and closer watching intently. And then I felt a man's hand on my neck, and it was the voyeur who crawled around and pulled me up very quietly but firmly. I looked at him, and he says, that damn tie of mine, my red silk tie was only a couple feet away from the head of the woman giving the blowjob. Because he oh. says the tie fell through the vent. No. Yeah. So... And this documentary does this so So you grab well. him by the neck, you're saying like the back of the neck? Yeah, like Gay's peeping at yeah. the blowjob action, but his tie had sure. fallen through the louver. Okay, and Gerald okay. just slowly grabs him back because he sees it. Yeah. Gerald's a pro. He yeah, ain't going yeah. up there with ties or changing yeah. his pocket. Sure, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? yeah. So um, Gay says, I would never write about him unless I could use his name. There's no point as a nonfiction writer in writing about personal life unless you use real names. Otherwise, just go write fiction. So he wasn't buying this. Uh, but what he was doing was continuing to cooperate with me, and it's continued for more than 30 years. Hmm. So Gay says, I have copies of every letter he ever sent me. The problem in journalism is it takes place in too short a period. So reporters go out, they talk, uh, and then they never see him again. Interview in, out. Well, I don't do that. I like to keep in touch because there are chances maybe two or three decades later, you could go back and see these people and you could find out what happened after you left off. So he says, I called up this guy and I said, I think you're ready to do it. And he says, I have sold my motel in 1997. So the statute of limitations. Wow, what a fucking piece of shit. Is probably up and it allows probably. me to, uh, and most of those people are dead anyway. Okay. Uh, Gay says, if you're going to do it, you better do it fast because neither one of us are going to be alive much longer. Yeah. So we learned that Gay's story about the voyeur, Gerald Foose, is going to be excerpted in the New Yorker magazine, followed by a book that he's been working on. So he sits down with his editor, Susan Morrison of the New Yorker, and he explains to her that Gerald's never been caught. At the time, he's 78 years old. Uh, Gay's also worried that since, you know, he's 81, he doesn't have a, a lot of time left. He says, here's what I'm worried about. If I tell the reader that I'm watching something, I saw a little sex, but for me, I'm so jaded. Uh, but if I say that I didn't see anything, then the reader is going to lose interest. 
And Susan says, no, 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 don't, don't worry. In a, in a way, I'm glad that you didn't see anything so great because I think you run the risk of it seeming almost too creepy. Right. <laughs> just a little beige, and that's about it. Right. This is just a little beige. Just a little, yeah, nothing big. I didn't even see tip. Right. Didn't even know if she yeah. swallowed. swallowed. <laughs> Gay says that's another thing. And then, and then Fu says, oh, she swallowed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he says that's another thing. He says this guy isn't creepy. Right. <laughs> okay. He says, this is what I really have to explain. This guy's a square guy. If you didn't know he's a voyeur, he could be working for Avis Rent-A-Car. Yeah. He could be selling insurance. You know, I mean, he's a, he could be anybody. He's, he's an normal, everyman. Normal dude. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's like how Ted Bunny operated. <laughs> well, Do you know what I mean? I think for the most part, people are able to live in a society. That's how you don't get caught is because you're right. just a normal dude usually. <laughs> but the pros. Yeah. Do exactly this. So he sold it in ninety four. You're saying ninety seven. Ninety seven. What? Can you kind of just describe a little bit what the platform and what this viewing area kind of looks like? We're gonna get to that because I don't want to butcher it because I I have some detailed notes outside of the documentary on what I found about that. But what you want to do is you want to picture a motel roof. Yeah. Uh, that's it's like a triangle at the top. It's a triangle. It's a p- p- point at the top. Yep. And then kind of made a platform above all the. There's a catwalk in the middle. Okay. So, and then you have, I want to say they're six by 14 inch vents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That, that makes... he can see down, yeah, but yeah. they, the people can't see him. Yeah. Now, as soon as I heard this, I was like, have you ever been walking in a house and heard like just the tiniest movement? You would yeah. think that the movement would be like, somebody's going to hear him. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. then you hear this story about Gay's tie almost falling through. Yeah. And then I actually physically did, I did the recreation myself. If the tie's following through, how is that possible? Well, here's the thing. It's like, is he crouching it, over it? Maybe here, here's the thing. He might be like super overly safe about it. And like, yes, his tie might be falling into what this guy Foose says is kind of the danger zone. Right. No, he but, claims it was like three feet uh, from the woman's head that was sucking the guy off. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he's exaggerating a little bit. Yeah. And like the the vent, you know, okay, well, whatever. Right, right. I mean, if his tie is three feet and you've got, yeah, yeah. he's laying down on But you have the image now. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So back to Gay's interview with Foose. Gerald, tell me how it was you started as a voyeur. And Foose says... I was on a farm with my mother and father. Oh, boy. East of Alt, Colorado. And we lived right straight across from the street from my mother, sister, Catherine Eckert. My mother's sister? My mother's sister. Okay. She was younger, and she was different in the body type. Mm-hmm. And she had freckles. Oh. I never knew what freckles were in those days, but I wanted to find out. Uh, okay. <laughs> he says, Turns out she had them on her... <laughs> says she was beautiful in other words from my eyes the most beautiful woman that i ever laid eyes on. okay gay's like is that right <laughs> not weird though yeah. he says i think i had gone to bed approximately nine o'clock in the evening as i sat there on the bed suddenly i got this urge uh-huh. i went to the window uh-huh. and i looked out across the street and it was like a compelling force oh i could see right straight to my aunt Catherine's bedroom window oh boy a mysterious force captivated my entire body <laughs> it's called this is great <laughs> yeah he yeah. says this he says i think it was because i was entering 
Puberdance. Puberdance. Not a word, by the way. Puberdance. Yeah. Not not puberdance. Puberdance. He says puberdance. Puberdance. I looked it up. It's not a word. Okay. So Fu says, and now what beckoned to me was the window. I love the way he says window. Window. Gay's like, good, that's good. The beckoning window. <laughs> I'm going to put a window here. I'm going to put a window here. Uh, Fu says, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's got to be uh, better words to describe it. And Gay says, no, beckoning window is perfect. You're a poet and you don't even know it. Oh, You're a poet. Foose. But you'll come up with other words. <laughs> He's like stroking him. So Gay says, Anita, what do you think? Because they're having this conversation with Anita. Yeah. Good word, right? So at this point, we're introduced yeah, to his second wife. Pretty much. We're <laughs> introduced to his second wife, Anita, and she's not all. Oh, uh, fuck. She's got these big bug eyes and yeah. this frizzy hair, yeah. kind of short. And Foos goes back to his story and he says, Finally, I got to the window. You know, in those days, nobody pulled shades down. Now, there was a mirror, and I could look into the mirror and everything she was doing in her room. She had beautiful red hair at the time. Her pubic region was very red, and she had big boobs. <laughs> I could see them across the street. Which became the reason that I have a fixation on boobs. No question about it. You're not the only one, man. And then Gay says, this is where you started masturbating. This woman is the obsession of your masturbatory dreams. You know, they're going to say it's amazing. The voyeur started out like this. Is that what caused these psychiatrists are going to be scratching their heads? Are they? Gay says, you're going to be famous in all the medical journals. They may want to talk to me, but I'll say, well, open your checkbook and I'll have a conversation. I don't talk to nobody unless they pay me. Gay, that's a, a very American fellow. <laughs> so is, so is gave paying him yes he has a book deal ah. with, he has a publishing oh they're they're together yeah, I got so it, he's got it. being paid he says now when you got mixed up with me you wrote me a long letter and at the time you wanted to share this with me but you didn't want me to write about you at least by name that was the deal we had and the question is why did you even write to me and Fu says i think i was attempting to gain some kind of notoriety because I did something that no one else ever accomplished or did. Right. Uh, Except or, for the government. And, <laughs> big brother. But Gay says, or even thought about doing. I mean, police do two-way mirrors. Yeah, but I mean, this is this is intimacy. These are sexual no, I get cops. It. You know, people that are in those two-way mirrors, they're no. not fucking each other in, you know, police stations. <laughs> well. So, who says, I hope they don't. The only thing that they have in their mind is the fact that I may maybe a pervert and a peeping Tom <laughs> because I wasn't that. Uh-huh. This is where it gets interesting. Okay. I was a researcher. Got it. He was a psychologist. Yeah, that's what he's literally saying. I'm a hillbilly psychologist. He really believes that all of this is what he's doing has a, a greater good for the social, sure. like sexual uh, descriptions he's describing and uncovering. He he fancies himself along the lines of Masters and Johnson or Kinsey for that matter. Like he's doing scientific research. So um, 
he also looks at Anita and he goes, Anita, how many times did I tell you I was a researcher? Yeah. And she just nods and you can't. Pickles. Something. So he said, I was a researcher and I believe that. So back to the office of the New Yorker. They're working on the publication. And Susan Morrison says, you know, we said to Gay, we want to see if you can get Foos to be reflective on all of this. If he had any misgivings about it, why he decided to come clean what he thought his actual contribution was. You know, he thought of himself as a researcher, which is a ridiculous claim. I mean, to me, there's no question that Foos is really disturbed and a certain kind of sociopath who just needed attention. So Foos during this time had cre created what he called uh, voyeur journals. Mm -hmm. So they show some contents of like the certain chapters. Uh, you have an introduction, you have a prologue, you have a foreword by the voyeur, um, revelations from the journal, the first observation. Uh, chapter seven is titled Black Man and a Black Female. Eight, fall fallatio Washington, D.C. style. Ooh. Uh, nine, cowboy's sexual methods. Uh-oh. Uh, Ten, flagellation by the hooker. That's your favorite one. Toilet fellatio. That's my favorite one. <laughs> you want to come in the toilet that you're sitting on or the one that's sucking on your dick? Ugly. Okay, that's a that's a dice line. Sorry, I got it. honey. I actually, I actually knew that. Yeah. Um, then there's uh, trilogy sex. There's masturbation by a school teacher. Lesbianism by three officers. Masturbating salesman and the eyedropper. Uh, I mean, these are some interesting titles. Uh, eyedropper. Yeah. What do you do with the eyedropper? I don't know. So <laughs> Susan says, but if you take this whole as a document that Foos has produced over decades, it's completely fascinating, full of strange, weird tales. It's an amazing snapshot of the American condition that is interesting and newsworthy in itself. So Gay says in 1980, he promised that he would show me the many written pages that he accumulated on yellow line legal pad. So he reads an excerpt from one of Foos's notes. It says approximately 35 years old, white male, 5'10", 180 pounds, white collar, wife, 35, 5'4". Four. Four. Jesus, please, he's please. like, he's yeah. profiling these people? Profiling, dude. Oh, fuck me, dude. Pleasingly plump, dark oh. hair, Italian extraction, educated. So I paused it because I noticed that he'd written down her measurements, 37, huh. 28, 37. And I was like, how the fuck did he get those? 34. You can't eyeball that shit. 34. Well, I found out, and I'm going to tell 34. you 34. Well, here's the thing, too, though. So this guy, presumably, he grew up kind of, like, isolated, you're saying, right? Grew up so on a farm. I, so I think, like, a lot of it also, which doesn't excuse any of it, yeah. it's just kind of like, uh, you know, I mean, see, maybe if this guy had social media... Uh, back then? Back then, we yeah. wouldn't have to do any they of this shit. porn back shit. then. So I don't think that's an excuse. Well, they had porn, but maybe he was really just seeking what people are like so you don't you don't think he was a a researcher i don't think he was a researcher i think he was this kid this guy was generally interested in people uh -huh. and just was not knowledgeable about sex in general yeah so i think he just kind of related so you he, think this guy's he, cool no, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to understand the psyche of this dude. Of how he while, got to this uh, point? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm not saying he's not creepy. It's definitely creepy and yeah. weird, but yeah. Well, anyway, back to um, the notes. Uh, someone else moves in. Unknown female companion. 30-year-old black male. Employment unknown. And then he has what he calls a, a sex uh, 
grid and it's a chart and it, and it's titled type of sex act performed and there's boxes that he checks off you know five for oral sex with intercourse 27 intercourse only masturbation one resulting in male orgasm 35 ah. resulting in female orgasm seven <laughs> well those are That's some the, real numbers yeah this guy's fucking so this guy's like this guy's like learning this guy is basically like he's like he's he's trying to figure out how to be a person because he was never taught he's trying to figure out how to be like social now that's why he's so good at getting wives to just like he's like you go, go along getting, with me just go along with him because like he kind of knows how people act because he's just been watching them he's like well these numbers the, this this thing works good well yeah uh, we'll get to it because uh there's some interesting that things that he does after compiling this data but gay says you had watched perhaps between two to three thousand people a year oh fuck uh -huh. me putting in a lot of time too yeah, yeah. and foo says oh till till daylight yeah he says donna donna used to come up and bring me like a coke yeah <laughs> sometimes even bring me a sandwich because she knew I was up there. Oh, poor Gerald up there, and he hadn't eaten. You know, you can only masturbate a couple times a night. Yeah. When you're younger, you can do it three, four, maybe five. Jesus. I got interested. <laughs> can you imagine what the walls of that place look like? Imagine what his dick looks like. Jesus uh, Christ. He says, I got interested in certain people. His dick's going to look like a wall. <laughs> and, of course, I knew it was in the rooms. I used to keep them there much as I could. He said I'd give them lower rates. <laughs> yeah, he yeah. would. He's, Gay says one time he was actually watching a couple that were very attractive. He's looking forward with much anticipation toward a really good show of sex. Well, just as they're about to take off their clothes, the guy turns off the lights and the television set, and the voyeur is upset. Oh, shit. So what does he do? He figures it out. He, he said, Fu says, I went down the ladder. And got my car. I put on the bright headlights and parked it right outside the window. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. Guy wasn't going to go disappointed. He earned and, it. And I wonder if the guys, the people are like, what the fuck is this guy with oh, his lights? The guy sees the lights blazing through the curtains. And he says, some bastard, dumb bastard left his lights on. Um, his, in his notes, he ref started referring to himself as the voyeur in the third person. So he kind of starts taking on a new life of his own. The uh, fourth wall. Mm -hmm. Fu says on the observation platform, the voyeur is kind of a distinct separate entity. And I think we exist side by side. <laughs> so Slip personalities, huh? Gay. The voyeur. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly sociopathic. Yeah. But I mean, is it split? I don't know. Right. I'm not a psychologist. Gay says the kind of hours that you spend doesn't mean you're watching scenes from Deep Throat. It's not hardcore porno. He says, you do see sex, but not as often as you think. It isn't boring. In fact, it's worse than that. It's real. Life is tedious. It's persons expressing the tedium of ordinary life. And even though it's boring to him, he writes it down, which is what's value about this document. He has hundreds and hundreds of stories. There were cases were, that were fairly bizarre. Uh, I got some more titles. Homosexual salesman. <laughs> Beauty pageant winner masturbates. Hmm. Lesbian nurses. Hmm. The goat man. Uh, uh. <laughs> so one day, this is gay. 
<laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One day he's in his office. Well, it might be bestiality if you're talking about the goat man. We're so going to get there. Fuck. No, we <laughs> yeah. don't want to get there. Whenever I say we're going <laughs> to get there, you you just, your butthole messed up. It does. It's perker. I can see it in your face. Perker. Per, per, so, whatever. one day he's in his office and the cleaning lady says, listen, there must be a sheep in one of those because all I hear is, bah, bah, bah. Oh, no. So, he goes up the ladder and he sees two men. One of them is dressed in sheep's clothing. Oh, shit. And the other guy is on top of him having sex, and he's making the sheep sounds. Uh, the or the first fucking, what do they call them? Fluffies. Flu- furries. 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 Fuck no, yeah. dude. So again, this might be pioneering research if you want to take the document at face value dude, this guy because he's documented pine- these things. trailblazer. So Fu says, I had an individual come into my motel. Had a bucket bucket of chicken from the Colonel. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming KFC. Of course. Girl sat down on the bed, pulled out the napkins about that thick, and he set them up over on the side, and he proceeded to eat his chicken. Okay. Well, sometimes that made me hungry. <laughs> okay. Maybe not the smell. And then, of course, his hands were greasy. What he did, he just reached down and picked up the bread spread like this. So he gets angry at this situation and he yells out, son of a bitch. It's his fucking bed spread. Yeah, it's all greasy now. And Fu says, he he goes up, who said that? And he went to to the window and he pulled back the drape and he looks down this way and then looks down that way and there's nobody there. Uh Uh-huh. So Gay says he wasn't discovered, but that's the one time he lost his cool and almost got popped. This fucking, this fucking guy with my, with my comforter. Boo says this. The thing that used to anger me more than anything was dogs. Yeah. I used to hate them. I used to hate them when they were in the rooms. So Gay says he's up there, quiet as he could be, not hardly breathing. Because the dog can sense the, the dog. motherfucker. Yes, yes, the dog. You know, they can pick up earthquakes, yeah, buddy. Yeah, They're going to yeah, be able yeah. to check out somebody yeah. like, Why is he with a what, fucking my boner. Just, my dog's just <laughs> looking at the vent, dude. <laughs> yeah. He says they just sit there looking. Ah, fuck. He could hear, they could hear anything. You yeah. Know? That little sucker knew about it. Yeah. There are some days I'd be real depressed because here's what happens. I go up there at night. And I go from one room to the next. And the only thing I was hearing was shouting, hollering, complaining, cursing. All that stuff really bothers me. Yeah. You know, watching people do things I didn't think was appropriate. I I developed the the, the taste for a lot of people. So Gay says he became somewhat cynical. He wanted to entrap people. Oh. Yeah. Fu says, the first thing I started doing was planting dildos. <laughs> dildos, dildos. <laughs> yeah, so we plant plan dildos places right huh? next to the Bible, you know, placed by the Gideons, and Hilarious. he put out porno magazines. Sick. Fu says, "I wanted to find out if they'd utilize what I'd planned, oh. or come up to the office and say, hey, clean your goddamn rooms, get on your mates.' Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a couple women do that. Yeah, I had a couple men do that, but." The women that utilized it, that was a different story. Fuck yeah, it was. So Gerald conducted, this is great. He conducted a test 
where he left a small suitcase in a closet of one of the 12 rooms. And when the persons came in to register at the office, the voyeur would pick up the phone and would talk to his wife, and he's speaking so these people can hear him. I had a call from a person who's left a suitcase with $1,000 in his room. Did you happen to have any record of anybody finding that? Well, then they go into the room, and as they're hanging up their clothes, they see the suitcase yeah. that has a tiny little lock on it right. that can easily be broken. Sure. Who says, and I was sitting up there and, you know, watching them, you know, looking, looking out of the thing, watching them. And Gay says, well, what did they do? Well, they broke the damn lock. Now they had to get rid of the suitcase. Who says, they'd sneak the suitcase out of the room and put it in the trunk of their car and drive it off real quick. One person took it and threw it out the bathroom window. <laughs> so Case says so much uh, of the time a voyeur invest is propelled by anticipation. And what you're doing is hoping that they will do something to make it worth your while. Right. That's a lot of investment. Like sit on this toilet. No, yeah. no, no, not that one. Oh, we'll get to the toilets. Oh, boy. That's later. Yeah. Well, a lot of time and a very small return on your investment. Except once in a while, you see a murder. Fuck me. Uh-huh. <coughs> Fuck me. Foose. I am concerned about lots of things, and I predicted things. I think I could be implicated and maybe an accessory to a crime. I was observing, and there was a white male and a white female. He's a drug dealer. I saw him distribute to drugs to kids, and I, I got upset. Yeah. He said he hit him in a register alongside the wall. That's where he had his stash. Now, I'm assuming register meant like vent. Okay. Well, Gay says the voyeur had a son who had a drug problem, and he was angry, you know, about seeing the drug salt around his motel. Yeah. Well, Foo says, well, he left the room. Guess what I did? Oh, uh, boy. I went in there yeah. and screwed them off and took the stash yeah. and went over and flushed it down the toilet. <sighs> well... When he came back that particular night, he went over to the thing. When he pulled that sack out of there, well, there was nothing in there. Yep. And, of course, he started blaming people and said, who the hell? Where is it? What the hell? Well, Gay says the only person that knew where he hid it was his girlfriend. And he <sighs> accuses her. Fuck, dude. Yep, and she quickly denies it, but he still insists that it must have been her. Yeah. Who else knew? Was it me? Yes, it was. Well, he starts slapping her around. She stood up, was in his face. He slaps her. I want to know where it is. Well, she kicks him in the groin, and he just got crazy. And according to Foos, he just reached up and grabbed her by the neck and choked her. Yeah. I just kept pro progressing. Come on, I was thinking. It just kept pro progressing. Come on, let her go. Let her go, man. Yeah. And pretty soon, he just quit, and she fell to the floor. Oh, fuck. Fell right in front of the vent. I was looking straight down, and I swear you, I could, I could see your chest still rising up and down, uh. up and down. And then he got all angry, and he was throwing things around the room. He picked up her purse and dumped it out of the bed and took all the money she had out the door, in the car, and gone. Well, Gay says, this guy up there is watching this and, of course, does nothing. He's stilled. He's confused. He's frozen. Well, Foos continues. He says, and I looked, and I swear, I swear to God, that I saw her chest moving. And I thought, well, she's okay. Mm. So I left. The fact is, it made me so sick 
and I quit observations for the night. Oh, just for the night, huh? <laughs> That's it. I got to go to sleep and clean Cut. my body tomorrow. Cut. No observations after that yeah. almost close call of murder. Yeah. Well, the next morning, <laughs> Meg came to work. Mm-hmm. And I watched her as she went down the rooms. And pretty soon, she came out of that room. And she opened the door and she went in. And all of a sudden, she came running out. She came right into the office and said, Gerald, I think the lady in number 10 is dead. Uh, well, Donna came in and said, she's dead, Gerald. She's dead. Well, police came. Pretty soon, the coroner showed up in his little panel truck. I'm sick, gay. You know? And I'm saying, you know, I could be responsible for that. We could be. <laughs> You're fucking responsible for it. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about this. There's I mean, many there's ways, accessory, at least. There's, but there's many ways he could have gotten around this. Okay. Well, well okay. Well, hold it. What do you mean? He could have called the cops. We well, could yes. have said it. Uh, no, no, no. We that, overheard. No, obviously, that's right. What you don't makes, have time to seal up the we, events. We, that's what makes him could, an accessory, right? But the point is, you could get the cops in without uh, revealing that you were an accessory. You could, but it's too risky. Of course it is. So it's he did risky. nothing. Because yeah. what are they going to do? They're yeah. going to bring the dogs. Well, where do the drugs go? The, the dogs are going to go. The dogs. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So Gay says, here's the deal. I have a deal with Gerald. This man, Gerald Foose, and I have a deal. That is for me to tell the truth and for him to live with it. The motel he doesn't own now. In 1997, he sold it to a Korean family and has no idea what was going on, the Korean family. When he sold it, he made sure he took his magical events with him. He told me it was completely covered up. Now, they show pictures of the vents. Currently, now. Correct. And, it's and they're like, covered up with plaster. Yeah. It's a shit job. Really? Yeah, you could see that they were there. Yeah, that's I mean, hilarious. Gabe, it says, he says, I mean, this is a pretty sloppy job, Gerald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at this. Food says, there's situations... It can result. So wait, real quick, how yeah. much of the room could he see all of it? Well, up till now, he just talks about being able to see like the by bed, the bed uh-huh. okay. you know, where most of the action was. Got it, got it, got it. He says there's situations <laughs> it could result Situation. in maybe in jail. I don't know. Yeah. I well, just feel uneasy. Sure. And I feel nervous. Yeah, of course. When we first started discussing this a year ago, we thought it was time because the statute of limitations is potentially passed right but now i found out there's a new word and he he can't figure out the word so he looks at anita and she has no clue lizard (laughs) case like (laughs) whatever but i'm the guy you know they're gonna indict not you foo says well that's what you've been telling me but gay says i'll tell you something this letter that you wrote me i read it this morning and in this letter, you warned me that you don't want the name of the Manor House Motel published. And you said, if this happened, this Korean guy who's not at a clue what happened is potentially going to lose customers. Right. And that could cause damages. Very true. He says, I also talk about what's going to Anita and me. Gay says, you would think that I'd gotten uh, this across to him. I wouldn't have talked to him if I didn't have permission. So Gay's upset. You know, he says, I would have been, this had been a no deal thing. It's been 30 years. So there's no change in my policy, but suddenly this guy is forgetting what we agreed to. If you have no trust between your source and yourself, you're in real trouble. And you've won the confidence of someone, then you have to show an enormous amount of patience. And you're also not interested in making their life 
any more difficult than it can be. Okay, he says, I, Jerry, I've been doing this all my life. Foose is like, I know you have. So this is all taking place in their home, by the way. So the interesting thing I need to bring up is there's a documentary film crew in Gerald and Anita's house. Okay. So what we see here is the daily interactions of Gerald and his wife. While Foo, uh, uh, well, Gay lives in New York and he's working on the book, you know, getting the article published. So Gay continues. He says, Anita, she had a, a marriage to a trucker, some um, truck driver, and he was a rough character. And she had two children. One of them was born crippled. So their lives, these, these two wives of Gerald in his own life are filled with sadness and illness. When you think about what they have going for them, it's not a lot. Now, just to back up, Gerald's got a very nice home. Okay. okay two-story house in Aurora. Very nice home. Sure. You know, so I don't want you to think that they're, you know. Poor. Poor. They're not poor Yeah, at all. motherfucker was able to just dedicate and buy a fucking hotel and dedicate his life to jerking off and looking up Not strangers. just jerking off. But whatever he would do. He was, he was fucking his wives up there, too, while oh. this happened. Well, like fucking his wives up at the... They would watch... Oh, and fuck at the same and time? And fuck at the same oh, time. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah. So, anyway, um, Foos and Anita bring Gay over to the house. And uh, as they're walking in, uh, Foos turns off the alarm. And before Gay comes in, he goes, you don't have any surveillance in here, do you? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, I sure don't. <laughs> so, Foos shows off his Barbie doll collection. Yeah, because now, dude, this guy must be jizzing his pants with the type of surveillance shit that they have. Oh, yeah. With coffee all the new, mugs, yeah. glasses. Yeah, coffee cups with microphones in them. Coffee cups with microphones. So anyway, he's showing off to gay. And he's, you know, so he's like, look at this Barbie doll collection. He says, this is great. And then he takes, goes into his office and he pulls out this box of coins and he goes, these are the coins that Anita has collected this year. Huh. Collected them. She collected them. He collected them. Oh, he collected them. These are these are the coins that Nita has collected just this year. Okay. He cracks me up. <laughs> so collected, <laughs> collected. Gay says when he was a boy, one of the things he noticed, in addition to the body of this beautiful aunt, was that she was a collector of things. Yes. Okay. So Foo's buttons and all kinds and of crap. Pills. Foos shows him his stamp collection, Ooh. pulls out his samurai swords. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a couple of Lugers. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Gay continues. He said he told his mother that he would like to start collecting things like beautiful Aunt Catherine. This started uh, his lifelong hobby of collecting things. Is so, that why he has cats too? <laughs> no cats. Okay. So Foos takes him into his basement. Now, it's a mini museum filled with baseball cards, sports memorabilia. There's tons of stuff in this basement. <laughs> Most of the shit he found at the hotel when people left it behind. Well, he says there's two to three million cards there. Oh, shit. He points to a, a section. He goes, I've never even looked at these. There's a row of signed baseballs, tons of old Wheaties boxes. More Barbie dolls. Wow. I saw a signed photo of like Mickey Mantle and Ted Williams. Well, Gay says that one of the reasons he wanted to divulge his story was to get press attention and he could brag about his collection of sports memorabilia because he wanted to sell it. Ah, uh, smarty. Foos says, these cards down here, they're going to make us a millionaire. Just the cards themselves. Yep. 
Now this card, the Mickey Mantle card, well, now that's worth from 200 to a million. Sick. And uh, I once had over a thousand of them. Wow. Big problem here. Okay. He's full of shit. Oh, is it really? I know my cards. Yeah. I did a little investigation. Good. The card in question was a 1952 Bowman Mickey Mantle. Okay. Okay. It's been graded. You know what that means, right? Yes. Okay. So there's three major grading companies. There's right. Beckett, mm-hmm. uh, PSA, and SGC. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, PSA and SGC, they're the premier grading companies for... Yeah. Well, Beckett only does... Vintage. Beckett only does cards, I think. No, no. It's not just that. It's that the card market right now... Let's say you have a, a PSA 10 of a card. Like, a, Let me give that's you an a, example. That's a, yeah. Let me give you an example. Derek Jeter's rookie card, 1993 yeah. SP. Mm-hmm. If you have a PSA 10 of that card, yeah. there's only like 15 of them in the yeah. world. It's worth half a million bucks. Sure. Okay. That's if it's PSA. Yeah. If it's a Beckett uh, 9.5, mm-hmm. it's worth $20,000. Yeah. Okay. So the whole point is Beckett, they're very good at modern cards, but PSA and SGC, they're with the vintage. Well, there's Got a grade it. on this card and it's graded by Beckett. It's a graded a 4.5. Yeah. So, which is technically VG, very yeah, good, very excellent good. condition. Well, I went on eBay, you know me. Yep. That grade, it's actually worth about 5,500 bucks. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> Far cry. It's worth about two mil. Well, he says 200. Yeah, 200. To a million. Yeah, 200. To a million. Um, now, I'm not going to let him off the hook just there either. He says, uh, so the the one I found, that was a, a Beckett 4 with a buy it now price. There was also a PSA 5 selling for 7400 or best offer. So yeah. even if we say that thing is a 5, he's looking at 7500 bucks tops. Now, interestingly enough, on the case, there's also somebody wrote in with a marker, uh, first rookie. Well, that's wrong because I'm a card nerd. Okay. Uh, Mantle's rookie's 51. Uh-huh. Uh, 51 Bowman. Yeah. Um, and, of course, he's got the 52 tops, which is worth even more. But uh-huh. this is a 52 Bowman. It's okay. not his rookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he doesn't really <laughs> strike me as a guy who knows much about shit. Yeah. But thinks he does. Sure. Gay says he has these prices. He keeps quoting. And I don't know what if this guy's nuts. But he's like, I'm not a collector either. And then this is so weird. He holds up another card. It looks like a TTO, T206. You know what those are? The no. old tobacco cards? Oh, the, like, all the really. Yeah, yeah. I remember like, like the Onus Wagner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like, like the really the of small the ones. Yeah. Well, they don't have a close-up shot on it, but he goes, this card here could be worth four, 500 grand yeah. or more. Yeah. And it's just like, no. Yeah, I don't think so, buddy. Yeah. So Gay's like, how do I know if this guy's, you know, totally exaggerating? You know, he says, if I reflect and he's a braggart, then it might reflect on all that I believed of what I saw. Foo says, this is great. The thing you got to know in life is when to make a choice and when not to make a choice. So <laughs> when to hold them and when to fold them? When to maybe report a murder that ca- happened in your hotel. Right, exactly. <laughs> maybe when to not report a murder. Exactly. Maybe when to create a laboratory yeah. in yep. your hotel. Don't call hotel. it a laboratory. Uh, maybe when to create an observation deck. Yeah, yep. Observation These decks. are life choices yes. that you have to make. Observation decks usually look up. Not down sometimes, into rooms. Sometimes you need to know when to make these choices. So Gay says, I could definitely testify to the accuracy of the room. I mean, the attic. He says, I know what I saw. He says, I was there. 
But the rest of it, I'm getting from him, and he's my single source, and you're unwise to just have one single source. He says, in all I write, I try to guard against being wrong about something that could be checked upon and found part of sloppy reporting. The issue, the, that murder, it's on, unresolved as of now. I know the date, the year a woman in her mid-20s or maybe younger, maybe older, was found dead. We have to find out who the hell this person was. I love to have that because there's going to be a lot of skepticism about the veracity of this. Sure. I went to the police. I went to the coroner. I went to the newspaper, the Denver Post. I mean, they checked on their records and they came back and said, we don't have anything about this woman. How could they not have records? I don't know how that's possible. They would have to have records. I shouldn't have to search for it. You shouldn't just have the date, the location of the death. There should be somebody meaning the description of a young woman dying on a motel floor. Uh, so he's upset. Yeah, yeah. That's so he, wow. But he needs this corroboration for the story. Yes. He's got, he's got some doubts. Oh, that's what it is. It's more about that. He feels very strongly that the journals are real. Okay. Right. Because they're so detailed. Yeah. They're dated. They're, they look old. Yeah. You know, and he's, you know, saying he started this in the 60s. So next we meet um, Morgan Entrican. He's the publisher of Grove Atlantic, who's going to be publishing Gay's book. And he says, you know, our editor here, Jameson Stoltz, was working on the book. Well, he uncovered a murder that occurred a couple of miles away in a motel within a two or three week time frame of when Gay's or uh, Gerald saying this happened. So according to his research, he finds out that a 28-year-old woman named Irene Cruz rented a room at the Bean Hotel and was found by the housekeeping staff and had been strangled to death. Whoa. So Morgan says, could Gerald have conflated this? I don't know. Huh. I don't know the answer. I don't think the actual total truth of all these incidents is ever going to be known. The only person that knows them is Gerald, and he may not even know them because he might not remember. So Gay says, why would this guy depict himself a cowardly way? Why would a guy make up the worst story in the book about him? To repeat that story is to lose any sympathy from even the most sympathetic sick reader I had. Well, Morgan says, you know, Gerald's a fascinating character, but would I stake my life or my reputation on everything that he's recounted in this story? A big, absolutely accurate no, I would not. Right. Okay. So this is when things get a little interesting. Gay's daughter, Pam Talese, she's an, uh, an artist. And she says, GT, by the way, that's how I refer to him <laughs> when I'm not speaking directly to him. Yes. He said, why don't you do something? Why don't you do an illustration for the Voyeur's Motel? Uh, this is the sort of thing you do for your parents is what she says. So he gave me a postcard to work from. Um, she said, I didn't like the perspective and I didn't want it to be snow. And I had this idea to look for other pictures on the internet. Let's see if anything comes up. So when I looked at the street view, this is what I got the most recent time. And I called my father and said, guess what? It's been torn down. What? Yeah. Gay says, how do you know that? How'd you find that out? And she said, Google Maps. Yeah. And he's like, you and the internet. <laughs> it sounds like a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah. yeah. So... Gay then is seen making a Skype call to Gerald. And he said, Gerald, okay, I just heard last night that the Manor Hotel motel is not there anymore and it's been leveled. 
who says, who told you that? Yeah. Well, that's news to me. That's really not a big problem, I don't think. Okay, he says, well, wait a minute. It probably makes you relieved because you were the guy who told me, don't use the name of that motel. Yeah. And he says, yes, I did. I just told Anita and she said, that's good. Yeah. They probably got it for a good price. Hell, they probably got a million bucks for it already. <laughs> kind of makes me feel good, yeah. to be honest. You know, we don't have to fight with any of these jerks, you know? Yeah. Well, we got the story written prior to the demolition of it. <laughs> Still going, huh? Gay says, of course we do, and we have films and pictures and everything else. Even you know that documentary crew even went in and took pictures of the rooms when they were visiting you and filming the story. Who says, I'm pretty excited about this book, Gay. <laughs> you know, I think this could be uh, one of your great books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gay says, well, I got to get the New Yorker to publish it. I got to get the New Yorker to publish it. In other words, all you're waiting for is this thing to be published by the New Yorker magazine, and uh, then we can go to town. Yeah. That's what we're waiting for. I thank the Lord for it. Thank God. Whew. Well, and Gay that says, poor woman's soul. He says, all right, well, it's hooray for you in the motel. So Gay says, okay, you know when you hold on to stories, things change. When you're writing nonfiction, thinking, now here, this piece was all set, and then what happens? The whole location of this story, the motel itself, vanishes in space. So then somebody off camera, when, I don't know if it was the director or who, who, but says, so you don't need to go back out there to see this lot? And Gay says, would it be worth a trip? And the person off camera says, yeah, well, for us, the visual of an empty lot would be very powerful. Okay, well, if you're going to do it, you know something? I might as well go with you. Yeah. So they head out to Colorado. On Netflix's dime or whoever's dime. Yeah. yeah. So sure enough, they arrive. So where right now is Fuse? Uh, oh, Fuse? Fuse. He's, he's in Colorado. He's also in he's Colorado. He's in Colorado. He's just not at, at that particular, like near that area. No, he's in Aurora. And keep in mind, the documentary film crew is filming him out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's two crews. One's in New York filming gay. Yeah, and yeah. the other one's at the, at the foosball house. Got it. Okay. So they get out there, and the Manor House Motel is an empty lot. Right. So Gerald shows up in a suit, and he's got a cane. And uh, Anita's there, and they walk the grounds with Gay. And uh, Foos says, I can't see much of out here. They cleaned it up pretty good. I feel a little uncomfortable in this. Yeah. I always loved this property, and I built most of it with my own two hands. Yeah. And now it's gone. Mm-hmm. In the Bible, of course, there's that great saying. Oh, boy. About there's a time for everything under the sun, and uh, I believe that the time on this particular motel was up. Gay looks. At, Thank God. Gay looks. At, yeah. Hallelujah. Gay looks at uh, Nina. And says, "What do you think?" And she goes, "Sad." But last night I had a dream about this place, and I cried. And Gerald says, "What's the matter?" I said, "Nothing." And he said, "What's the matter?" And I said, "I missed the motel, and I was dreaming that I was still working, and I felt like it was real." I woke up. I was in bed, sleeping, crying. Yeah, it's somebody else's property now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Kay says, uh, he hears the word redemption. He says, 
I want to clear my conscience. To identify or have people identify with him with this work of some worthiness and kind of redeem himself. We'll see. Now, Fu says, I hope when this is all over that, well, you know, you and I and Anita can be as good as friends as we are now. Gay just kind of shuts the door, helps him in, and says, we're going to be better. (laughs) (laughs) So back to Gay. He says, I've known this man since 1980, going over this man's massive amount of scribble, having to clarify what is real and what's not real, and I'm trying to be as careful as you can with an unreliable person. I mean, you're dealing with the New Yorker. You have to get the facts right. I want the facts right, but what I'm worried about is that fact checker at the goddamn magazine uh, really has fact checkers. (laughs) I do not look with pleasure upon the future when a person on the telephone from the New Yorker is going to be calling him up and asking him for this and this and this and this and this, and half the time he doesn't even know what the tracks are. So Susan Morrison comes back and says, this is really the ultimate single source story. The fact that Gay had actually been on the premises and knew that these viewing platforms existed. We knew that this guy wasn't making that up. But at a place like the New Yorker, you know, all the T's have to be crossed and the I's dotted. Address, dates, spellings of names. All of those things are gone over and over in great detail with our fact checkers. You know, that's an absolute value here that doesn't change. The question was, could we wrestle this thing into something that didn't rely primarily on Gerald Foose's notebooks because we did find things that were at odds with Gerald's account. He described buying the motel in a particular year. We were able to get the deed sale, and we noticed that he didn't align properly, precisely, excuse me, with the date in his notes. Hmm. Whenever we found a discrepancy like that, we wanted the reader to know exactly what we knew in terms of when Gerald had made an error. We made it clear that all of what he saw in our in-house lingo was sort of on him. So Gay says the voyeur told him he bought the motel in 1966. He says, I'm quoting him, the New York fact, the New Yorker fact checker finds out he didn't buy the motel until 1969. Hmm. God, I mean, is it that hard to keep your record straight? You know, he, he gives me information like that, that he should get it right. Foos is now talking to the film crew in his house. Right. And he says, that, that guy that does the vetting, he was saying, you sure, Gerald, that it's 66? He says, well, it could be 69. And I says, well, yeah, could be very easily. I said, one of the nines could have been inverted. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, That's right. Good point. But I said, I don't know. I said, it's a potentiality. Mm. Gay. Oh, man, I called him on that. Oh, I'm sorry. I got something wrong and lots of papers. I don't care what papers you need to remember when you bought a building. He started keeping notes in 66 and he had specific days like November 26th, November 28th, and December 4th, 66, 67, 68. So then he was back. Was he backtracking or was he writing fiction? Interesting. What was he doing? Well, maybe, yeah, maybe he, in those years, I'm trying to think of how old he would have been then. He was born in 39. Okay, so he would have been in his, you know, late forties or something. Or yeah, mid to yeah. late, mid to late forties, thirties to forties, whatever. Yeah. But they, but maybe he's already like, okay, well, in case I ever do get caught, right? I need to maybe throw off the scent a little bit. That's and something after I thought of. Years and years of that. Yeah, 
maybe you kind of have either convinced yourself or forgotten that you've even done that at his age. Right. It's very possible. So, you know, Foos checks his personal files and says it just doesn't make sense. But I mean, if if Gay was there and he saw the thing. Yeah, he saw it. But maybe the guy just fucking bought the thing and was like, hey, this shit's just been here. And I'm just, this is a good story. Maybe he just feels, feels like a, he's like, okay, enough time's passed. And I can, uh, I can, I can live with being a creep in the eyes of people if it's going to give me a big payday. To sell my baseball card collection that's worth like nine grand. Well, but whatever. But like, then I can turn it into a half a million. Yeah, something. I mean, it's a possibility. It's some, that's some fucking 5D chess right there, though. Yeah. I mean, if that's what he's working, yeah. Uh, Gay says, I'm wondering how firmly I can rely upon him. I know the motel is real. I was there. So he gets dates wrong, but I don't care whether he opened the motel in 65, 66, or 67, or 68. It makes no difference. He held the motel for more than 15 to 20 years, during which time he had a lot of time to look at a lot of things. The story is the story, and I'm moving on. So Foos is at uh, home with Anita, and he goes, uh, I was really sore this morning. That don't bode well, because uh, whenever I get sore like that, Storm's coming. <laughs> His knee is a barometer. He's right. He's like an old fisherman. Yeah, yeah. Storm's a coming. <laughs> I can feel it in the plate in my leg. And then he gets a little introspective and he says, you know, Anita, Anita and I were just kind of loners. You know, we don't, we don't neighbor. <laughs> we don't neighbor. We don't neighbor. That's a good because, word. Because uh, we found out, hey, turn, 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 yeah, uh, now into a you. verb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we don't. We found out being in the motel business, there's no sense in doing it because the only thing you're going to do is you're going to expose yourself and all they're going to do is talk about you to other neighbors. Right. That's what neighbors do. That's the creepy one that keeps looking in my mirror. (laughs) (laughs) We know uh, nobody's coming to visit us. Nobody ever comes to our house. We don't have any friends. All our friends are dead. I wonder. Well, yeah. Would you I would, think I, anybody would friend befriend these fucking creeps? Well, you yeah, don't have time to make friends when you're fucking yeah, hanging above the louvers all day. Yeah, dude. It's not like you're getting out much. You're playing security guard at a casino. So he looks at the filmmakers in his house and says, unfortunately, you guys are all I have. Fuck me. Yeah. You'll be here when it happens. And I want you to be here. I don't want anything. I just like we're all in it together. And uh, that's it. There's nobody else. So Gay's back in New York City. He says, everybody's been worried about the damn peace. But the voyeur's worried too. You know, he's, he's the one that really has a worry. He's right there in that little suburb of Denver waiting to be crucified. So Gay's article titled The Voyeur Motel is published and makes the cover of the New Yorker magazine on April 11th, 2016. So Gay's at home. And, uh, you know, he says, here it is on the front cover of the New Yorker and uh, the most prominent section. Couldn't imagine a more impressive layout for a magazine article with the voyeur's name, Gerald Foose, not obscure, but right in the headline. Gerald Foose bought a motel in order to watch his guests having sex. He saw a lot more than that. That's a terrific headline, he says. Even if he hates the article, he's got to love the prominence because the thing about this guy is, is that he wanted to be discovered. If he died, no one would care. No one would know. Yeah, he lives in the shadows his whole life. Yeah. 
But now if he dies, this thing will put him on the map. It'll get him an obituary in the New York Times. <laughs> Gerald Foos will get an obituary. Why? Because he's a voyeur who talked talked to me and was published in the New Yorker. There it is. <laughs> there it is. He's really big on that obituary. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like a status symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wants. <laughs> so Gerald and Anita are at home watching TV and uh, the news breaks in local Denver. This one is just chilling. And the Aurora Motel owner watched his guests at some of the most intimate moments without them even knowing for decades. And it's all detailed in the New Yorker magazine. The motel stood here at the location of Colfax and Scranton. Now, in addition to all the sex that Gerald Foos claimed he watched happen here, he said he saw a murder, but never told police. Uh-oh. Foos, I did too tell police. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Now, yeah. what? Reporter. Talise received a letter. So, so he was lying before? You're going to, you're going to. I'm going to find you're out. You're going to find out. Oh, you excited? this is exciting. Talise received a letter from Foos in 1980 saying that he purchased the motel to satisfy his voyeuristic tendencies. After installing them, he hovered above in the attic and asked his wife to lie on the bed below to see if she could see him through the louvers. Anita, she's watching this and says, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. Foos, suddenly, I got a little more shaky. Yeah? Wow. <laughs> Gay says, the man is nervous. It's for working. Years, for years, he's been hiding in the attic. Now he's been pulled out of that. Yeah. But he's been instructed, if that's the word by me, don't go out, don't answer the door, do not answer the phone, I say. Well, the yeah. phone rings and Anita answers it. Hello? Gerald, it's one of the ladies that you would meet with the Denver Post with Gay Talese. How did she get my number? She knows about the book already. Foos, I don't know. Hello, this is Gerald. Oh, shit. Yes, ma'am. What's your question that you would have to ask me? Reporter, this is on the phone. Well, I guess I wanted to know if you've read it yet and what you thought of it. Well, you know, it is. It's it's my life. You know, secret life. <laughs> You know, <laughs> reporter says, yeah, we're going to have this in the paper tomorrow and we'd like to get your thoughts. Well, I can't. I wish I could give you more. Why don't you wait a little bit, you know, wait a, a little bit till July. Yeah, that's when the book comes out. And uh, that's what I'd suggest. And then you call me and I'll give you an interview. And then you hear Anita in the background. No, Gerald. <laughs> don't tell him. But uh, you're going to lose the deal. You weren't filming any of this, were you? The reporter asks. Oh, never. Never. That was that was before the uh, electronic age. <laughs> Anita, Gerald, that's enough. Yeah. Foos, but I can't tell you anymore in that, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you anymore because I'm, uh, uh, I'm still under contract. Okay. Anita, get off the phone, Gerald. <laughs> 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 I'm not going to answer any more of your questions about it right now. And she's yelling at this point, yeah. Gerald, I have to go. And uh, my wife, uh, my wife, she has to go and she's getting ready to, to go do something. This guy just and, wants uh, to talk to people. You don't understand. <laughs> Gerald. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, thank you very much. And uh, goodbye. Adina. How did she get my number? I don't, I don't know, unless Gay gave it to her. 
because she talked to gay. <laughs> it's going to be an article in the Denver Post. So that's uh, it's really going to loosen things up. So we see Anita, and she walks out to the driveway to go pick up the newspaper. And then a car comes, and then she runs back to the house. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, if you're wondering, this woman, Anita, she's got real like crazy lady from grandma's boy like the roommate that's crazy she looks I, exactly like i did her. let you see a picture yeah i saw the picture of her and she and yes it's yeah. she's very so spacey looking gay says i did talk to the reporter from the denver post i spoke on the phone to her so there's an article but there's nothing in the article that hasn't already been said in the new yorker and anita says i went to go get the paper this morning and i looked at it and i said oh shit it says x Colfax motel owner thinks he's the greatest voyeur in the world. There's a picture with Gerald in his office at the motel. It says sex lies, but no videotapes for hotel owner. And then Anita tells the film crew Shucks. in her house. She says, so if my phone rings, I'm just going to let it go because I have a feeling my brothers and sisters are going to call and I don't know what to say. Gerald told me to just say it's just a story and it's not real. Right. Yeah. But it's real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very real. So we see Gerald at the landing on the top of the stairs, and he says, I'll tell you what, man. The shit has hit the fan. Uh-oh. I just talked to a friend of mine in Minnesota. It's all over the Twin Cities already. It's in every city in the country right now. Yes. I'm not good. I'm shaking like a fucking leaf right now. <laughs> So he says this while he's on one of those motorized stair lifts. Oh, no. going down like the Like a stairs. commercial? Yeah. And he stops midway at the second landing and peeks out the windows. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you, do you, have, uh, do you have life insurance? Exactly. Let me tell you about these reverse mortgages. Exactly. I wouldn't be trying to sell well, you on and anything. And the thing is, this chair moves so damn slow. <laughs> let me tell you about voyeurism. So, is it bad? <laughs> I'd like to talk to you about Liberty Mutual. <laughs> so Foose is in the chair. He's at the landing. So then this next portion I speak, it takes this entire paragraph for him to get down the stairs. <laughs> Fuck yeah. He goes, it's quiet now. It's like when grandma's too old and you're trying to get her like to the like to the wedding and she's like, eh, the first wedding I ever went to was night. You're like, just fucking go, grandma. Let's yeah, go. But he can't because this thing doesn't move Obviously, fast. Obviously, I know. So he says, but uh, it's not going to be very quiet very soon. I don't think... Uh, I gotta, I gotta tell you guys something. Got to get round table. Now I don't know if he's talking about pizza or, yeah. <laughs> or if he's saying we need to have a that. round table. Let me get some of that shaky cheese. So then he says, "I got to tell you something. I'm really pissed off. I'm really pissed off, and uh, it's probably my fault. Well, but uh, I'm scared. I have a lot of fear because." I love that lady over there. Right. I'll do anything to protect her. Right. He's probably gone three steps during that. Yeah. That three sentences. Yeah, yeah. But when uh, when Gay when Gay Talise makes that last statement in there talking about my card collection, uh oh, I never wanted that in there. Ah. Uh, I don't uh, want people to know that I got a million dollar card collection here. Uh oh. What if a lawyer turns around and sues me? 
And they put a lock on the house and everything in it. A lock? Yeah. Like it's a fucking cartoon? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Some guy just comes and puts a big Acme lock on it? I, <clears throat> I can't even sell it because the reason they put a lock on it is they know it's worth a million dollars. That's all and he gives a fuck about is his stupid fucking collection. And therefore, they can get that money. God, what the... I never saw any of those things. Never once did he ever show me a damn manuscript. Hmm. Never, never once did he show me the thing that was written for the New Yorker magazine, and I would have been adamant, get that out of there. You know, you don't put that kind of stuff in there. Wow. You don't write about a man's money. I mean... So crazy. I mean, I'm really mad at Gay. This fucking guy. I'm mad as hell at him because he should have consulted me. You know, I'm the guy. Yeah. Not him. He's made this. I'm, I'm the big star here. You know, I'm the big star. You know, I've written all these books and here I am, you know, when he writes bullshit about me, that's the only thing I'm really pissed off about. I'm seriously pissed off about it. Now, at this point, he gets to the bottom of the stairs, flips up the flips up the yeah. the handles yeah, yeah. and says, and I think Gay and I are going to have a real bad problem. <laughs> I'll see you tonight at WrestleMania. <laughs> so he's at the, the dining room table and he's reading a newspaper. And he says, he's still pondering Fuzu's true motive in revealing his secrets. <laughs> One reason could be Money. Talese draws parallels to the Unabomber oh, and Watergate's deep throat. <laughs> Wait. The Unabomber and deep throat? He did. And I'll get to Why? that. Okay. I'll get to it because I don't want to blow the article. Okay, the Unabomber doesn't make sense. He's as... talking about the psychology uh-huh. of the voyeur. Like the manifesto. Yes. As a yeah. Well, and just the, and dead, deep, men, yeah. the dead men don't take, take secrets sure, to their graves. Sure. So... Uh, and then it says Foose is hoping to come clean 30 years later and find redemption. Yeah. And Anita goes, well, that's true. And he says, kind of like, but you don't do it with listing his assets. I'm worried about that fucking Mickey Mantle card. I mean, this is all, this is why I was saying from the beginning, it's like, maybe this guy is bullshitting this whole time. It could be a con, a and long con. And he's just con. like trying to fucking just sell off a stupid... Nah, it oh. can't be that. Gerald, Anita says, Gerald, excuse me. It's not Gay's fault. It's your fault, too. He says, everything's my fault. The camera people, he says, has he called you back? The camera guy, no. Foose, what the hell the hell's he think this is? Some kind of goddamn just fun game? And Anita says, Gerald, it's different hours there. Bullshit. It's 10 o'clock in New York. Gerald, just calm down. I don't want to get sideways with that man. I don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah. Anita, I just want to tell you that I love you and calm down, okay? Okay, darling. Thank you. She is smart. <laughs> so the, we see Anita. She don't look it. We see Anita standing by the door, peeking through the blinds. And uh, Foos is on the phone and says, uh, gay. Sorry to bother you. This is Gerald. Yeah, I just wanted to touch base this week with uh, some of this stuff. I don't know. I'd just like to talk to you. If I could, please. If you get an opportunity, call me. I'd appreciate it. Yeah. 
Ooh, real mad. So then Gay is back in his uh, bunker in uh, New York, in, in his den, typing into a computer. He says, you called yourself a pioneer, <laughs> a truth teller, a chance taker, a man to be compared, maybe better than, compared to Alfred Kinsey and Masters and Johnson. These people will recognize with respect today were vilified when they first appeared on the public scene, considered to be obscene and criminal. So now the story of Gerald Foos has gone public, and Gerald Foos must, as a man of courage and strength, stand tall and tough. You take it for a while because you want to reveal the truth of who you are and why you know what you know. Okay, hang in there, as athletes and pioneers must. <laughs> Best, gay to lease, your pal. Athletes and pioneers. Right. So next, there's a cop car out front. The LeBron uh, James of voyeurism. <laughs> there's For a sure. cop, cop, Michael Jordan. cop car out in front of uh, Foose's house. Foose says, well, guess you're here to meet the bad guy. Cop. Is this a reference <laughs> to that book you wrote or something? <laughs> say, say hello to the bad guy. It's the last bad guy you'll ever see again. <laughs> so Fu says, yeah, sir, come on in. I just got this call a little bit ago, a threatening phone call. I'm scared to death right now. I don't even know what the hell to do. This guy was dead serious on that phone. So Fu says, I remembered something the guy said on the phone. He said, well, now you're the one who's being watched. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sit burn. Yeah. Cops leave. Judo move. Who's is like, son of a bitch. Fuck. I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to start getting my guns out and laying them out every place when they're point whether they're pointing in different directions or what. <laughs> Gonna get all my guns out. Oh, Nita says, Don't be nervous, Gerald. And he goes, Sometimes you you get nervous when you're ready to die. Yeah. <laughs> she goes, Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I just said a little bit ago that I thought that I'd probably die before the book come out. There's too much pressure on me all through my arms and legs. I feel like, you know, fear. I'm thinking yeah. like, is a storm coming? <laughs> <laughs> is it another winter storm? Dan, this guy's been jerking off for so many years. He's never had stress before. So more shots of Anita looking out the blinds, paranoid. So... Like Robin Williams when he was on Coke. So he's re reading, and it says, 10 a.m., come and get me to oh, kill me. God. Because I'm a no-good pervert. Had my address and phone number. I thought that I knew that voice, but didn't know for sure. He gets a little contemplative here. He says, can't hide anymore, can you? Sometimes I think that it's not real. So who does he think is coming after him? These people that are Just giving him people. threats. Yeah. He says, uh... <laughs> I know what you did last summer. <laughs> <laughs> the babysitter calls. Yeah, bloody finger, five blocks away. He says it's kind of a kind of a dream world. Last night I had a dream. Most of the night, I was being chased, being chased by people trying to catch me. Which I guess makes sense. I was running and hiding away, and it just went on a long time. You know, if they knew what I was. Gonna feel a year or two years ago and I'd never done this. So I don't know if that's gonna change. So let's get back to New York City. Yeah. Morgan, the uh, publisher of Grove Atlantic, not the uh, 
New Yorker magazine says, I thought there would be controversy when the New Yorker piece ran. Almost everybody who reads it sees it as a really interesting, fascinating story. And Jordan, the researcher, says, people are going to react very negatively without even thinking about the material in any more serious way. On the face of it, the fact that he was a voyeur and built this thing specifically to watch people and did it for 30 years is off-putting. Morgan says, you know, you could be disturbed by it. I think it's a little bit unusual if you weren't disturbed by it, but I don't think that's necessarily bad for sales of the book. So Gay says, we are now weeks away from publication of the book. Uh, You know, now he needs somebody to hold his hand. He's talking about Foos. This is something I'm going to have to take upon myself. This is my last chance to take control of the Voyeur's Motel. We're not going to have a happy honeymoon in Denver either. It's going to be a drag. So, Foos says, you know, they have a man of his stature and from New York City, you know, coming to see us. And I mean, we're just common people. You don't associate with common people. And Anita says, Gay says every time he comes to us, he wants us to dress up. So yeah. Foo says he's used to going out with people that are all shammied up. <laughs> and all those people are all, you know, presidents and CEOs of companies. They're all famous people, most of them. Fancy business people. You know, uh, he heard me. Uh, you know, you heard me criticize Gay a couple of times. I just wish he would have shared with me more, but I'm not going to let it destroy our friendship. Yeah, my dad criticizes gay all the time, too. (laughs) It's about the book. I mean, we got to stick together. Because if we don't stick together, you have nothing. So, Gerald, of course, takes another ride down the stairs in his suit. And uh, Foos and Anita are peeking out the blinds. And uh, uh, Anita's like, oh, my God, he brought us roses. Oh, Uh, opening night. They weren't roses, by the way. And, uh, you know, he comes in. He's like, how are you guys? And Gay said, Gerald, when would you get a suntan? <laughs> <laughs> Gerald, you are making history. The editor was a little worried. You know, he's a little worried about how the readers are going to react. On the contrary, he says it's one of the greatest stories. Can't believe this story. Who says, you can't make it up. Yeah. You know? And then all of a sudden they switch scenes and they're both wearing different suits. Okay. So I guess the first meeting didn't go well. All right. And then it gets a little awkward here. So they're sitting in the living room and they begin a conversation. And Foos says, well, we sat, we read it, you know, the entire story. And Gay says, it was some good, some bad in there. Wasn't a Valentine. Right. (laughs) Some of it was surprising, but I thought it was okay. You know, I might have been a little upset because I'd uh, never even seen any of what you've written. And I never saw the manuscript. And Gay says, you have a right to an opinion now or next month or five years from now. What you do not want to do is ever admit falsely that we cooperated with one another. And I showed you what I wrote. I don't need to give you a lecture on journalism, Gerald. But we journalists, if we're really honest and not hatchet job people, which many of them are, but I'm not one of them. <laughs> Hack. I write the best I can. And when it's out there and it's got my name on it, there it is. You don't like it. You could shoot the messenger. You can edit it or write bad reviews, which they for sure do. That's the way it goes. This guy's very, it's got, I mean, I love it. This guy's He's like awesome. a legit journal. He's awesome. And then he looks <laughs> it to the director and he says, what are the questions that we have here? 
<laughs> and the director says, or the cameraman, I'm not sure. He says, we didn't get total clarity, but the thing about your voyeur's journals that start in 66, the question is, what exactly happened? Gay. He explained that. He made the mistake of data instead of 69 or 60. He already answered that. And Foos just goes, confusion. as confusion. Uh-huh. Gay. Okay. If you're going to go back on the discrepancy of the dates, he's already answered that. How much more do we have to do? Director, we're almost, we're almost there. He's like, this is dragging. It's dragging a bit. Wow. Gay's, director. Gay's getting a little flustered. Yes, Gay's. And the director says. Because he knows, too, that yeah. there's some discrepancy. So the director says, okay, I have a simple question for you, Gerald. Do you have any regrets working on this article and this book with Gay Talese? That question is a legitimate question. Essentially, Gerald, if you had it to do all over again, or maybe at Ask the question yourself. And he points to the, the camera crew. <laughs> yeah. And they, they go, that's it. That's the question. Yeah, yeah. Well, make sure it's your question because I don't want to change the question <laughs> wow. and make it more. I don't yeah. want to prompt an answer from him. Ask him the way you ask it. So the, the camera guy's like, Gerald, if you have to do it all over again, would you still participate in the book? And he says, Fu says, didn't you ask the same question? It's already on tape. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. He had misgivings, didn't he? Director, he did have misgivings. Okay, so I want you to get him to say that. I don't want you now because I, I'm here. What you're doing is wrong. You talked to him privately and you got an answer. Now, with me here, I'm affecting his answer. Don't, don't you understand what I'm saying? And then the director says, Gerald, do you have any regrets about this process? Okay, this is a phony answer. I, I think it's unfair to him. I want you be, to let him be critical of me. What you guys are doing is sanitizing. He doesn't have, he has misgivings. I, I don't understand what's what's sparking all this. He's, he's just going crazy. He's just mad. I mean, you're yelling. He must be yelling. I think what happened here is there was... Um, there were questions that needed to be answered, yeah. but they were answered while there was this time gap where Gerald was living with these guys. So Gay's whole point is he would answer it differently if you were just in the setting. He would answer it differently if I'm here. Yeah. And I don't want you to do that. Right. Okay? So it ends up being a whole fucking shit show. Yeah. So Gay continues. He says, why can't he be critical of me? Why can't you let him be critical? Why not? And Fu says, I think I've already said that. Yeah. And Gay says, say it. And Fu says, I'd ask you not to put the murder in the book. And Gay says, you did? You did? You asked me? I didn't want to do it. I, I didn't do what you wanted. I did what I wanted to do. <laughs> Jesus. It's insane. Yeah. He's like this fucking nut job. Yeah. And Foose was, it was your right because we had a contract. Right. And he says, we both have a right. You have the right to criticize me and they don't have a, a right to ask you the same question. You're going to sanitize it. Let's make what you said. I didn't hear it, but in my presence, you're not, you're not going to be as candid as you would if I wasn't here. And that's part of journalism. And Foose goes, well, why would you, you know, how do you know what they're thinking? 
And Gates says, what's wrong about this is they already asked you the question with me not there. Then with me here, they're trying to get you to answer differently, which could expose you as a hypocrite. Don't you understand that? He says, yeah, I understand. Yeah, no, no, he didn't. He literally just <laughs> right. understood that right, right at that moment. Right. Yeah. The gay says, this is the way journalism, these guys aren't even credible journalists. They're cameramen. Yeah. They don't know. This guy's fucking on point. It's true then. I mean, he, you got to give him, uh, he, yes, he's acting crazy and you're obviously uh, are his vessel, but uh, the guy is making some really, really good, smart points. I agree. It's just the way it came off. I think what yeah, happened yeah. is there was so much going on behind the scenes. And I don't necessarily believe that the directors were trying to manipulate and get an answer. I Got could it. be wrong. It's subjective. It's up to the viewer. So anyway, Gay says, they pulled a trick on you, Gerald. <laughs> <laughs> that I would, uh, Fu says, that I would say something to them that I'd never say to you personally. And Gay says, that is true. And, and Fu says, I don't know if it is. Gay, I bet it's more true than not true. That's the way people are. And then the cameraman says, our goal is not to trip you up. No, but your goal is to get him to say different answers to the same questions. Foos goes, did we hit a, a sore spot on you? Oh. So that's why I was thinking maybe Foos did know a little bit more than meets the eye. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. You have or to. Or he's getting it. him back for his collection. Yeah, he might be pissed <clears throat> about the the baseball cards. Who knows? Anyway, he says, "I don't want to be in your corner. I don't want to be your apologist. I'm my own goddamn writer, and you're your own <laughs> person. <laughs> Let's quit. Are we over this? Okay. Oh uh, yeah. Are we over it after everything's been written? All the paychecks have been cleared. Uh, he's gonna make his money. Everybody's gonna like be fine." Like now, okay, now let's. So Gay gets up and walks out. Yeah, wow. And then Foos looks at the cameraman and he goes, That was a good question. <laughs> so then they, oddly, they go out to the backyard and, you know, it's tense, it's awkward. And, you know, Gay says, That's, that's right, stay away from him. But if you start talking about before the book comes out, they will use that against what you say in the book because they want to make it worse. Who's just like, they want to demonize me. They want to exploit you because you're a hot subject. Now you're new. You've just been on the internet. You've been on the New Yorker. You're ah, a hot the subject. Internet. Sorry. So then the two of them decide to suntan for a little bit on the back. Oh yeah. Like, you like that, brother? Just like, wait, 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 you talking about Anita and no, you're just talking about gay, Foose and gay, gay and Foose. They just are just like, let's just sit in the sun, just a couple of dudes just sitting in the sun, huh? It's cold outside, but the, it's it's warm on the face, I guess, huh? And they're just laying in these recliners with no shirt on, yep. And it's no, 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 it's just their heads. Oh, they oh, got their clothes on. Oh, but okay. Foose says, it's real private back here, huh? <laughs> oh, fuck me, <laughs> you imagine a observation deck above us he goes that's what i like <laughs> i'm used to private spaces <sighs> places that nobody can see me and i can see them okay great it's <laughs> <laughs> just a cut <clears throat> it's just a cut so that's hilarious it's so awkward it's fucking fabulous so gay says i'm confident i did enough work i spent enough time i spent more than 25 years waiting to take him out of the dark addict and i waited and waited and waited patiently until i could bring his story and him as a person to the public. Yeah, eye. that's another thing too. I mean, this motherfucker has a shit ton invested into it. 
and for some stupid dickless fucking cameraman slash director whatever who the fuck this guy is to come in and try to wreck the story for him to create doubt and it is possible that they were trying to get a better story yeah but so like even but but even from just his perspective even if this is or isn't the case he has to be cognizant of that of that uh, uh uh possibility yeah absolutely um so we're gonna get in the time machine a little bit we go back to these vintage interviews of gay and he says lots of researchers would like you to think that they're so professional and at all times and attached and in control that's it all in the name of the work but it isn't true I think anyone who courts this kind of precarious existence or delves into something that's rather maybe pioneering, I like to think of what I do as pioneering work, but you're risking it at all times. So Phil Donahue from this vintage interview says, I know there's lots of points in your book, but what's the point here? You've done this exhaustive research. What's in it for us? Give us some free advice after all this research. And Gay says, I'm not an advocate, I'm a reporter. I went out to the field and told you what America is like. People in the show don't like it. Some people in the show recognize it as truthful. So we're getting this arc of this man's work. We're getting a way to see an insight of how his process works and why that last scene was so damn important to him. Right. So I buy it. I think it's I think I think I think it's well well done. So Gay says, everybody wanted to write the great American novel. He says, I fuck, fuck the great American novel. I want to do something that nobody wants to do that I think is great, but I think is great. He says that no one thinks is great, but I, I think is great. And then he says, I, you know, we're getting close to publishing time here. He says, I know, never know how my work's going to be received. I've had a lot of bad reviews. This voyeur is full of high dreams. He thinks he's going to be the star and it's going to be read around the world. And I don't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what's going to happen. We'll see. So it's a week before the book release. And Gazin down in the dumps. He says, I've had nothing but bad news the last three days. The biggest mistake I made was talking to a Washington Post reporter today named Paul Farhai. I'm so tired. I can't remember my own fucking name. I received this email from Farhai. He said, I'd like to talk to you. There's some discrepancies I'd like to discuss. I have information that invalidates most of what you wrote and questions your reputation as a reporter. Wow. Wow. That's what he says. Wow. So he says, in 1980, the voyeur sold the motel to somebody, a friend of his, a man named Earl Ballard. Hmm. Earl Ballard, name I've never heard of. How could I have quoted the voyeur from his journal when for six years he didn't even own the goddamn motel? And I'm speechless, infuriated, frustrated, hopeless. I'm unable to defend myself because the Washington Post reporter is presenting to me factual information verified by him and a matter of public record. I felt I'm down the tubes. The book is down the tubes. So I said that my book is in the down is in the toilet. Yeah. And then we see these headlines. It hits the press everywhere. Uh, you know, the Washington Post, author Gates at least disavows his latest book and amid credibility questions. He's quoted as saying, I should not have believed a word he said. I'm not going to promote this book. He said much of the same thing to uh, Slate, Entertainment Weekly, The Guardian. So Gates says, now Oh, I- really? So you, his whole book tour, <clears throat> his whole book tour was just him like, don't buy this book. Well, for not for long. Interesting. Because he says, now I've demoted this fucking book into the toilet. That's the end. The story and the Washington Post, it's all over the fucking world. This is, this, is, this is the end of me. Yeah. I was lied to. 
I was interviewing a liar. I never thought of Gerald as, I wasn't talking to Walter Cogcrite, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking to this crazy guy. I thought I knew a little bit, but I didn't know him at all because I was talking in a long ride here into oblivion as far as my career and reputation. I call up Foos. I said, Jesus, what the hell is going on? I was fucking angry. Of course I was angry, and the book had already been published. I'm screaming at the voyeur. My reputation is shot. Yours is too. Our fucking careers are over. We are done, yeah. sweetheart. <laughs> this is where I've been. You get nothing. <laughs> you get nothing. He says, I've been hoodwinked or seduced by you and my quest for an honest and good story. It is a hell of a good story, but now I have to defend it. It's not fiction. And I don't think I was writing fiction, and you made me look like a fake artist. Now, we hear a recording of Foose with his response to all this. And he says, uh, I thought that Earl Ballard was dead. And he uh, never really amounted to much in the story, so I thought I'd just leave it dead. Mm -hmm. But the reverse was true. So Earl and I observed together. Oh, <laughs> fuck <laughs> me. Yeah. His, uh, his purchase in the manor house, that was his whole motivation. Oh, My man. deal with him was just a friend to another friend uh, or voyeur <laughs> to voyeur. Yeah, creep to creep, sure. After I sold the motel... Yeah, you know, he allowed me to come over and come and go as I please. Oh, yeah. Almost, almost every night. Uh, but now he didn't want nobody knowing he was a voyeur. Right. It's his word against mine. And so the book, now this sounds like God is tearing it apart. He says it's real dreary around here. It's all cloudy. Just feels about the way I feel. But yeah, I mean, how are you going to miss the sale of a fucking motel? We're going to get there. Uh-oh. Somehow. Oh, I, yeah, we still got to get to the... There's a lot we got to oh get Oh, my God. Okay, let's go. So somehow I wish that I could uh, go someplace and uh, hide. <laughs> yeah. <and> gate- like, <laughs> like an attic <laughs> above <laughs> a motel. A <laughs> motel called the Manor House Motel. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see my auntie's boobies. <laughs> All <right>. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, he says, Gay says, you and I, we're going to die as old men. And you and I are going to be known as liars. I let everybody down, especially Gay. He's such a proud, upstanding man. And I got in his life and I just ruined it. Gay. It's too late. Damage is done. That killed it. The book is dead. That book is really dead. So back at home with Foose and Anita, Gerald learns that the uh, local Barnes and Noble sold three copies. Oh, no. Yeah. Foose says, I thought that uh, oh, no. metropolitan area would sell over 5 million copies. <laughs> camera person off camera says, do you want me to show you the reviews? <laughs> <laughs> Who says, I'd like to see a couple of them. There's only a couple of them. 
Well, keep in mind, they were filming in April. Book didn't come out to July. So these fuck, this film crew was living with these people yeah, yeah, for an yeah. extended a period of time. So Gerald's looking at the reviews, and he says, they're saying everything I've written in here is a lie. They're saying gay knows it. Who is this jerk, this Jack Schaefer jerk? This is the worst hatchet job I've ever seen in my life. I can see why he hasn't called me, as he took all his stuff to heart, and I only gone through the first page of this, and it's a nightmare. I say, pull the books off the shelves and forget it. Yeah. Easy for you to say, bub. Anita rips off her microphone and just runs up the stairs. Oh, shit. And Fu says he'd been criticized, but he didn't, he didn't turn me in. It's exactly what it says here. Talise is as guilty as a coward. Talise said, so I have again to answer for myself, but the real problem is ahead. Looks like there's a definite split between Gay and myself. There's just no way it could have ever been healed. And I'll blame him. And he'll blame me, and that's just the way it is. All this stuff in here, I feel like destroying it right now. He reads from another article and says, and this is pointing direct fingers at the voyeurs being just nothing but a creep. And Anita comes back and says, well, you are. (laughs) (laughs) You're my creep, though. And he goes, well, I guess so. (laughs) Damn, she must have gone freaky back in the day, too. it's birthday time. Okay. And uh, Anita surprises Gerald with his 83-year birthday cake. And she says, make sure and make a wish before you blow him out. Yeah. It takes a long, hard second and makes a wish and blows it out. So Gay makes an appearance on Seth Meyers' show. And, you know, Gay says, I wanted to be a writer. Maybe not for the right people, but the wrong people, the wrong side. And then Seth calls him on the Washington Post thing and says... You know, the Washington Post did an interview, did it, uh, an interview with you where they found they had some inconsistencies in his story as far as the years he owned the hotel. You even say in the book that you can't vouch for everything. Uh, he says, is that fair for the Washington Post to call you out to get the facts wrong? And Gay says, well, might be self-serving in the way I sound, but I'm not trying to be self-serving. The Washington Post is wrong. Ooh. Says the Washington Post said that during a period he didn't own the motel, and I didn't know that, and I was very upset, and I didn't go along and to support this book. But the next day, I called the guy who bought the motel, and he said, no. He still had access to it, and he had the key. Now, he says, if I'd known that day, I was told that what I know or what I knew the next day, I wouldn't have disavowed the book. There was a mistake in my book, but I overreacted. I was very angry and very embarrassed, too, because I took pride in myself with the reliable porter that I am. So he basically flipped out and then basically says, I'm trusting the source, Ballard, to say that, yes, he sold me the hotel, but Foose had full access to it because I gave him the key. No mention of if he admits he was a voyeur as well. Right. So you see. So he's actually so he did have the key. That's according to the source. It's according to the source. Ballard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, of course, at this moment, you see Anita and Gerald watching from home, and they're just clapping. Yeah. And Fu says, if Gay was here, I'd say, hey, Gay, I'm sorry. And I know that uh, some way and somehow that we uh, could have a meeting of the minds. We always (laughs) had an extreme trust for each other. 
and I believe I, I let you down because I did not tell you the truth about Earl Bowron. In the journals, I talked about the voyeur. And it's empty and lonely because you have nobody that you can talk to or tell them how you're feeling. And he looks at the documentary crew and he says, and I feel it somehow. I feel when I talk to you guys, it's like somebody opened a drain and I'm able to free myself of all those thoughts. Yeah. And I love you guys. <laughs> yeah, because they have cameras technically and they're sort of like voyeurs also. You got it. <laughs> I don't know. I feel a feeling of companionship with you guys. And I don't get with many people. So Gay ends it. He's talking to the doc crew. He says, I'll tell you, I was very surprised that you got the cooperation you did. I did not believe there was any way we could get you down to film him. When I got permission for him, for you to go down, the first day he arrived, he started talking freely. I thought... Does he know what he's doing? Does he know what he's doing? He opened up his home to you, his bedroom, his wife to you. Yeah. He liked the publicity of the camera. The camera turned him on, and there it was. The reverse procedure. Uh -huh. He's now being watched. Yep. And, of course, then we fade to black. And that's how it ends. Very good. Nice, uh, nice summation with everything. Yeah, I thought, I thought we got it all. Yeah. Um, Still some uns uh, some unanswered questions, probably. Uh, there's some unanswered questions, and I've got a couple sources I want to uh, push over to now. I want to go to Gay's original article okay. that was released prior to the book. I did uh, take some notes on a few things that I thought we would uh, possibly discuss, or just random things I found interesting. Okay. Um, the first one is, he's talking about Gerald here. He says, he said... And so being very curious about sex, even at an early adolescent with all those farm animals around, how could you avoid thinking of sex? I looked beyond my home to learn what I could about people's private lives. Now, I've never grown up on a farm before, but he says he was obviously turned on sexually by possibly watching animals fuck. Is that normal? Uh, maybe for farm people it is. Who knows? Um, uh, regarding the setup of the laboratory. Yeah. Um, he'd initially considered installing two-way mirrors in the ceilings, uh -huh. but dismissed the idea as too incriminating if discovered. Yeah. He then thought of inst installing the faux ventilators and hired a, medical, a metal worker to fabricate a number of 6 by 14 inch louvered screens, like the ones we discussed. He says only Donna, who was in on the plan, could help Foos with the installation. She would stand on a chair in each of the designated rooms and reach up to fit a louvered screen into the opening in the ceiling that Foos had made with a power saw. As he lay prone on the attic, he secured the position to the plywood and rafters with long flathead screws. Mm. He installed three layers of shag carpeting over a central strip of the attic floor. Mm -hmm. The nails that kept the carpeting in place were rubber-tipped to deaden any squeaks from the four steps, footsteps. So that kind of answers my question. Right. But I still can't imagine you not being able to hear somebody walking above you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, after the screens were in place, Foos asked Donna to visit each room, recline on a bed, and look up at a ventilator 
as he was staring down at her. Can you see me? He would call down. If she said yes, he used pliers to bend the louvers into an angle that would conceal his presence while maintaining a clear view of the bed. And to answer your question, the bathroom door. Ah. So he did see the bathroom action. Yeah. And um, I don't know if I took the note on this, but I do recall reading somewhere that he took notes on how people used the commode. And he noticed that some people used it facing the tank. Oh, like some of our Asian friends, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Like, right, that's cowboy style. I'd never even yeah, thought about that's it. That's how they do it in Southeast Asia. They so. do. Yeah. I didn't know that. Why? Some European countries also. It's no just, shit. Uh, no, there is shit coming out of their ass. <laughs> no, uh, I don't know the exact reason why they do it. It's just kind of how. I think some of the toilets in other countries yeah. are kind of like that. Yeah. They're like the tank, you sit kind of like. Yeah. But you like could rest your head on it. Yeah. You could. So, anyway. This whole you be doing pro- rails off of there. Yeah, that's what I'd be doing. <laughs> yeah. I'd be fucking shuffling cards. Talking. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, what do you want to play? Um, he says this trial and error. Oh, process- I got a flush. Ah, <laughs> stupid. <laughs> it's, not, it's so stupid. <laughs> uh, I got a full boat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, straight oh, piece look. of shit oh look <laughs> oh look look down I see two pair <laughs> you're so happy about these poker puns oh my god fuck me I've never seen your face turn into Sylvester Stallone like that <laughs> your fucking lips were crooked oh my god all right, uh, that was you, good. You caught me bluffing. It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Okay, let's go. Um, the trial and error process took us weeks. He's talking about the louvering. It was exhausting. And with me constantly going up and down between the attic and rooms and my hands aching from all those adjustments with, the, with pliers. Yeah. So um, in other, at other times, if a particular engaging erotic interlude was occurring in the room below, Donna would lie down next to him and watch. Sometimes they would have sex on the viewing platform. Uh, when Donna was not with him on the viewing platform, he said he would either masturbate or memorize what he saw and recreate it with his wife later. Ooh. There were we nine... Saw, saw a new move today. <laughs> there were nine... It's called the Baba? Yeah, yeah. There were nine non-viewing rooms and those were saved for families or individuals or couples who were elderly or less physically appealing. Yeah. So the middle of the narrow floor was a carpeted catwalk about three feet wide. Okay. Now see, this also sounds like there might be some, uh, saving your ass a little bit here what do you mean well like the nine non-viewing rooms because there's uh, children yeah, yeah, yeah so we just put all the children in and there. the handicapped people we don't okay, want well, yeah but still but it's more mostly the children yeah um <clears throat> but anyway the the catwalk which was the carpet was three feet wide extending over the ceilings of the 21 guest room so we had 21 people wow, he was looking in man. on um this this note says, finally, I saw a naked couple spread out on the bed below engaged in oral sex. Foos and I watched for several minutes, and then Foos lifted his head up and gave me the thumbs up sign. 
uh, he whispered that it was the skiing couple from Chicago. So when uh, Gay was there, and that's when the tie went down, apparently that couple was from um, uh, on Chicago. a skiing trip. Yeah. Cool. Uh, he broke down um, in 1973. He noted that of the 296 sexual acts they witnessed, 195 involved white heterosexuals who favored the missionary position. <laughs> Overall, he counted 184 male orgasms and 33 female orgasms. The following year, there were 329 sexual activities that he believed warranted recording. He also broke people into categories according to their sex drive. 12% of all observable couples at the motel are highly sexed. 62 uh, led moderately sexually active lives. 22% are on the low end. And then 3% have no sex at all. Hmm. Wow, so, only 3%. Yep. Jesus. Yep. Uh, remember the honesty test? Yes. He said of the 15 guests who were subjected to the honesty test, including a minister, a lawyer, and an army lieutenant colonel, only two returned the suitcase to the office with the padlocked intact. The others all opened the suitcase and then tried to dispose of it in different ways. The minister pushed the suitcase out the bathroom window. Into ah, the what a piece of shit. Yep. Little tithing. Yep. So, um, so the lawyer, the doctor, and the police officer were the only ones that returned it. That no, was, no, oh, oh, oh. including lawyers, yeah. doctors, and yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so, um, remember when I was trying to figure out how to? He got the bra size. Oh yeah. He would actually go into the rooms when they oh, weren't well, there. Yeah, obviously. So he was pushing it, but I mean yeah. that's still pretty sketchy too. Of course. But he was literally going in just to record the bra size to have accurate notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he said one guest had committed suicide, shooting himself with a pistol. A 500-pound man had suffered oh. a fatal heart attack. Huh. And because his bloated corpse would not fit through the door, firefighters had removed the room picture window. Are you fucking kidding me? That's what they got to do. You remember the old cut fat people out of houses, Joe? Uh, We're I not going to go back to that. <laughs> um, in 1991, Foos bought a second motel on the street called the Riviera. There's no mention of this in the film at all hmm. he installed four faux ventilators in the bedroom ceilings there but the manor house remained his observational headquarters so it's interesting that they do all this fact fact checking yeah but they don't mention this in, in the movie at all it's obviously in the book because this is from you know his story right um he told me that he talked to a lawyer in public in publicly admitting that he had witnessed a murder and had not acted to prevent it. He said, I could be an accessory to a crime. I might be convicted of second-degree murder. So I guess he just went to a lawyer on that. Uh, regarding the murder, he said, if I'd known that this particular lady was dying, I'd have called an ambulance immediately. Yeah, that was another thing, too, that he makes sure that he says. is like, I swear. I saw I her breathing. I saw her breathing. Yeah. Uh, he said he had... Subs Wait, one last question, which yeah. is, what what year did Gay first go to the hotel? 80. Okay. Yeah. 1980. But Got he it. started emailing him, I want to say in, what did I say? 69 or something? Yeah, late 60s. 60s. Yeah, 60 something. 68. So, um, Foose recounted the night of the murder once more, filling in some details that were not in the journal I had read decades earlier. When the maid found the body in room 10, I thought, oh no, Foose said. He had Donna checked to see that she was really dead. They called the police. As the coroner was loading the body into the van, Fu said, I was sick to myself. You know, I could be responsible for this. Still, even after acknowledging his remorse over the woman's murder, he would not 
connect his behavior in the attic with any serious wrongdoing. Okay, you ready to hear about uh, Paul Farhai's uh, original article me, from Washington Post? Okay, this is dated July 1st, 2016. I'm not going to read it in its entirety, uh, but I do want to point out some facts which I think might establish chain of custody okay. of this hotel. So according to Farhai, Talese overlooked a key fact in the book. Foos <laughs> sold the, hotel, the motel located in Aurora, in 1980, and didn't reacquire it until eight years later. Oh, okay. So he, that was going to be my question, if he reacquired it. He did, according to local property <laughs> records. Uh, his absence from the motel raises doubt about some of the things Foos told Talese he saw, enough so that the author himself now has deep reservations about the truth of some of the material he presents. The book, which will be published July 12, was excerpted in New York, New York Magazine in April. The story attracted widespread media attention and led producer-director Steven Spielberg to buy the movie rights to the book. Oh. Yep. Spielberg <clears throat> has lined up Sam Mendes, who won an Academy Award for directing American Beauty, to create a film uh, of Talese and Fuz's story. I found out in an article I read somewhere else they decided not to make the movie because there's, they found out the documentary was first. And I would think they could still cross over and make a movie. But according to them, they said there's no way we could capture what the documentary captured. Right. So he also says, while the vast majority of events described in the book occurred in the 70s, <clears throat> Talese does refer to incidents that allegedly occurred in the 1980s. Talese writes, for example, that Fu's second wife, this would be Anita, sometimes joined him in the attic to watch guests during the mid-1980s, but Foos didn't own the motel then and said he had quit his peeping Tom ways by the time he took the motel back in 1988. Mm. But property records also, also show a series of sales and purchases of the motel from 1980 to 1988. Oh, shit. Mm -hmm. None of which Talese said he knew about. Um, then... Uh, this is when they were working on the murder investigation. Um, yeah, strange thing. So the sale was obviously after the murder. How soon after the murder? Do we know? They're saying 1980. But according to this, there are multiple transactions. Yeah. So there was Ballard, the Koreans. But mm -hmm. uh, let me keep going. An Aurora homicide detective, Stephen W. Connor, conducted the property record search and found that Foos and his wife Donna sold the manor house in October 1980 okay. to Earl and Pamela Ballard, a local group Gerald Foos knew, a local couple, excuse me. The Ballards, in turn, then they sold it to the Koreans, 1983, to Kai Wong C. Lefebvre. Doesn't sound Korean to me. Yeah, right. Well, Kai Wong. <laughs> well, Lefebvre. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, Foos and his second wife reacquired it from Lefebvre in 88, the Fooses then sold it for the last time in 1995, the records indicate. Foos confirmed the general sequence of events in the interview. Connor, who spoke briefly with Foos in April, told the Post that Foos didn't have access to the manor house. So he never, he himself never mm -hmm. sold it to the Korean guy. No, it went from... Uh, thing to Ballard to the correct. Korean. Interesting. Correct. So he lied to tell us about selling it to the Koreans directly. I mean, his uh, in, whole in a, thing in a he way says was, I'm keeping this Ballard out of the whole thing. Right, 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 right. But, yeah, yeah. but then he says, uh, Foos didn't have access to the manor house in 1984. 
because he no longer owned it. I have no doubt that Mr. Foos may have been involved in some nefarious activity while he owned the manor house. I just do not think it arose to the magnitude described by Mr. Talese. Um, then um, Talese said it was his understanding that Foos and his family lived in the motel even after he sold it to a Korean family. Mm. Now, in fact, the initial buyer, the Ballards, are not Korean. And after it was sold a second time to Lefebvre, he, quote, lived in the goddamn place. Yeah, That's yeah. what Talese said. Yeah. In fact, he did not, according to both Ballard and Foos. Uh. Still, Foos said in an interview that he had access to the annex, which he called his sexual researcher station. Right, right. <laughs> not, a, not an observatory. The SRS. <laughs> During the three years that Ballard owned the place. But Ballard disputes this. After buying the motel in 80, Ballard said he locked the annex and closed off the ceiling vents that Foos had installed to facilitate his voyeurism. Mm -hmm. Ballard, who knew Foos for years before buying the motel, confirmed that Foos has spied on guests for many years in the 70s. He was pretty open about that, Ballard said. At least he was to me. Now, during the 1970s, Ballard said, Foos sometimes invited Ballard, as well as another man, to join him in the annex to look in on guests. Jesus, they had a whole crew up there. Right. Ballard said he went multiple times, but added, I never liked Gerald. He certainly was a pervert. For his part, Foos called Ballard as big a voyeur as I was. Well, I mean, if you're going to fucking buy the place, you're not just, you're not buying it to save all these people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> oh, I'm doing such a great thing. Well, Foos said he was locked out of the motel altogether when Lefebvre took over ownership of the motel from Ballard in 84. At that point, he said, I decided to get out of the voyeurism right, business. Right, 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 sure. Foos said he accepted a promissory note from Ballard when he sold the motel to him and Ballard passed it on to Lefebvre. Foos reacquired the motel in 88 by forgiving the note. He said he never mentioned any of these property transactions to Talese while he was researching the book because I didn't think it would be interesting to people to see two voyeurs fighting over the same turf. Are you fucking kidding me? I know, right? That's the story. Yeah. That's the story that Sam Mendes needs to run away. Right, right, right. I want to see like, the voyeur fight. Yeah, the voyeur wars. <laughs> the voyeur like wars. wars, but the voyeur wars. Voyeur wars. <laughs> voyeur wars. Talese visited at the manor house just once for three days in 1980, apparently a few months before the motel was sold to the Ballards. The Voyeur's Motel makes no reference to the motel's ownership until Foos tells him in a letter in late 66 that he sold the lodging in August of that year to Korean-born residents of Denver. This appears to be an error. County records indicate that the Fooses actually sold the, mo sold the motel in August of 1995 to a man named Bruno G. Previtali. Hmm. Talese said he relied on Foos to describe a remarkable coincidence as well. <laughs> that Foos's son, Mark, rented the same apartment later occupied by James Holmes, the gunman who killed 12 people in an Aurora movie theater in 2012. What? The, uh -huh. the, 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 the Batman shooting? Yeah. The uh, Dark Knight Shabab. Right? That uh, guy, the guy that dressed up. Oh, yeah, 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 Wow. Yeah, he Whoa. writes. So now this guy for sure is a spook. I mean, <laughs> something, this is getting out of control. Yeah. He says, bizarrely, Foos told me that, had one, that he had once been inside the gunman's apartment. Foos's son 
had been an earlier tenant, saying his son, this is nuts. After I moved my son to to another neighborhood, he said, this guy apparently replaced him, although we don't ever recall running into this guy whose picture is now all over the news. According to the Nexus database and police records, Holmes and Mark Foos lived in Aurora at approximately the same time, but occupied different buildings. Thus, Holmes couldn't replace Foos, nor could Foos' son be an earlier tenant. So, okay. Yeah, wild stuff. That um, is pretty wild. Yeah. Okay, lastly, I have an article via westworld.com, which bills itself as Denver's independent source of local news and culture. And this article is written by Chris Walker, dated August 17, 2016. And the title is Gerald Foos, owner of the Voyeurs Motel, collected more than sex secrets. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, this is like some fucking spook. We're getting to spook territory. Like, I don't know if it's spook he's territory. He's a FBI collecting go. some fucking data. Well, let, I'll, let, I'll read the something. story. The, the highlights from the story. Especially can, with that last like psyop shit that you just talked about. All right. Anyway. All right. So the article begins, and the first sentence is, this story ends with me being offered 300000 Ooh. But. Dollars? Yes. <laughs> but here's what came first. Back in April, when the New Yorker published the Voyeur's Motel, Gay Talisa's article detailing how Foos had spied on guests having sex in his East Colfax Avenue motel for decades through special ventilation screens he's installed in the ceilings of the now-defunct Manor Hotel Motel, I was amused horrified and fascinated by the tale as most people who read it. Not everyone was pleased with Talisa's story though, including some media critics who questioned the ethics given that the legendary new journalism author had worked with Foos to keep the situation secret for decades. Soon I reached out to Foos by phone. I wanted to verify a claim that he'd been receiving death threats since the article's publication. Now this could have been the guy in the movie where Gerald was on the phone with. Exactly. From the get-go, it was an unusual conversation and included the following ex- uh, unexpected exchange toward the middle. Wait, you've been one of the guys that's threatening me? Foos asked abruptly. Sorry? Your voice sounds familiar. Uh, no, I'm a reporter with Westworld, like I said. Well, anybody can say that. <laughs> I'm a reporter. Yeah. No, I'm not threatening you, sir. Okay, okay, that's fine. At that time... Foos told me he couldn't talk about the motel because it was under contract and subject to a media embargo until Talisa's book, also titled The Voyeur's Motel, was released in July. Once the embargo was lifted, Foos said he would field interviews, requests from only top national magazines and television talk shows. Certainly people with money in their pocket can talk to me, Foos explained. That's the only people, and that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be costly. Yeah, <clears throat> And at this time, he says his stance didn't seem outlandish considering the production company that owned by Steven Spielberg had just purchased the rights to do, you know, uh, his life story basically in the film. Yeah. So I'm, I'm guessing he probably got money for his life rights. Oh, everything. Yeah, he got a yeah. fat check. Right. So the investigation reporters at the Washington Post, as we noted, revealed that Foos had actually sold the motel in 1988. So... He says, it's not clear what actually happened or when between the author and his subject, but Colorado's favorite sex voyeur has not shown up on magazine covers or television shows, major or not, to discuss his research, as he puts it. By the way, I couldn't find anything. Um, So he says, I reached out to Foos again to see if he might give us an update. 
As it turned out, I was not the first reporter to show up after the Washington Post revelation. In fact, Foos, with some pride and more than a hint of disappointment, Vanity Fair had flown one of its France-based reporters, Emily Barnett, from Paris to Denver just to talk to him. As soon as Barnett showed up on Foos' doorstep, however, the publisher of Talisa's book, Grove Atlantic, called Barnett's editor to quash the interview. I couldn't believe that they were allow they wouldn't allow that. It probably cost five thousand bucks at least for her to come out here. Foos says, "Yeah, right." He did. I wanted to talk to her. Yeah, yeah, of course. Since then, no one has got big boobies. Since so, that was the start of a lifelong obsession. My attraction to boobies. I think we all have attraction to boobs. Yeah, usually it's birth. Since then, no one has contacted Foos about his story. Uh, and the 81-year-old, who occasionally refers to himself in the third person, told me he wanted to talk because Gerald has all the knowledge. Yeah. Then started he then started spilling details about why he had not told the truth to Talese about selling the motel, as well as the thoughts about participating with the book to begin with. Right afterward, though, he asked me not to print these quotes because he still believed himself to be under the media embargo. He suggested that... I called the book's publisher, Grove Atlantic, to ask whether Westworld could obtain permission to do an exclusive. So I did, getting a noticeably alarmed and annoyed director of publicity named Deb Sager on the phone. She admitted there was nothing legally binding to keep Foos from talking to the press, but added that we ask and prefer that you speak to the author. Later, however, she said Mr. Talese has already done all of his press for this. I reached out to Foos again. But the time I called to let him know what I learned, that there was nothing to prevent him from talking, Seeger, the Grove Atlantic publicist, had already gotten to him. Foos said that he wanted to keep up a good business partnership with the publisher, especially with a movie potentially in the works, so he would not go on the record about the motel. Now, he says, I figured that was it and was ready to hang up on Foos. And then he said, but you could do an article on my sports collection. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the fucking sports collection. And this is when things turned really bizarre. Uh, uh, Ending with Foos promising me hundreds of thousands of dollars and possession of one of his houses. I remember that Foos... Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. To do the article on the... Yeah, he's saying... Wait, wait, do the article on the collection and he'll give you mm-hmm. thousands of dollars and, and possession and of one of his houses. Is that because he thinks that the article is going to like help sell his collection? We'll get to it. Uh-oh. <laughs> this <laughs> is getting creepy. He says, I remembered that Foose's sports mill. Well, but what is that? When I say getting creepy, I already yeah. am never going to a hotel ever again. I told you this is a creeptastic streak we're on. We're going to run it into the ground. This is, wow, okay. He said, I remembered that Foose's sports memorabilia collection had been mentioned in the New Yorker article. Talese had written, he wanted to show me his collection of sports memorabilia, tens of thousands of sports cards that Anita, his partner, had organized in alphabetical order. He explained that one of the reasons he was now willing to reveal himself as a voyeur was that he hoped the media notoriety might draw attention to his collection, which he was eager to sell. He believed it was worth millions. Talese also had mentioned that Foose had begun collecting cards and sports memorabilia at the age of 10, which would have been roughly around 1945. He says, I'm really interested in selling it, and I'm having difficulty. The reason I'm having difficulty 
difficulty is because my agent is in jail. Uh oh. Like, what does he mean? Like a sports so, card agent? Yeah. 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 Don't so, you, sounds like you need another agent. <laughs> well, he says that would make it hard. Yes. He says, yeah, he went back to his drinking and he just got his third DUI in Minnesota. Oh, okay. It makes sense. No. That's how he ended up in jail. And he may even go to prison. And if he does that, my his he's finished as my agent. Well, what does he value the collection at? I asked. Foos, 12. 12,000? No, God, it's valued at 12 million. Uh-huh. So this it was two couple million in the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And now it's a 12. Yeah. Foos got more and more excited as he described what he claimed to be a collection of 2 million sports cards, all pre-1970. This is not true. In the film, you see a bunch of fucking cards that are from the 90s, the 2000s. They're clearly visible. Oh. Um, so he said his greatest asset is a baseball that's signed by the first 13 Hall of Famers. Now, that would be a pretty prized object um, if that existed. The question is, does it? So he says, while some of the items are stored at a bank, the rest are protected at his house by Anita and my shotguns. <laughs> we even have laser beams. No, oh, freaking dolphins with freaking <laughs> laser beams on their heads. In, a, in, a, in order to research the article, Foos referred me to a website address, historicsportscollection.net, that his agent had put together. Then in another turn, he asked, well, actually, do you think you can sell it for me? He says there's a big reward for anyone who sells this collection, and you've got an in. You know okay. a lot about sports. That's good. And I think you could do better writing about the sports collection than about the book if you sell this. Jesus I'm Christ. going to give you 5%. And by the way, the guy says, I know nothing about sports. Yeah. So then he says, you know, I'll give you, let's say you sold it for $6 million. You get 300000 And in addition to that, I would give you the house. I have a house that's worth between five hundred to seven hundred thousand. It's not a mansion, just a nice big two-story house. Yeah, I'd give that to you because I don't need it, and I don't know what kind of family you have, sir. This is—it's getting I mean, bizarre. He's just like <clears throat> he says, "I'm single," and he says, "Well, you're single right now." Yeah, but you're thinking right. The house will be great for when you get married. Yeah, that's really tempting. But I don't know about all the business offers you made because there are some ethical considerations as a journalist. You don't have a contract with Westworld saying you can't have outside interests, right? It's possible. I definitely have to consult with someone about this. He encouraged me to do so, after which I could come over to his place to see the collection. I can unload the shotguns, he said first. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Look, I can tell you Cheeky lots of bastard. things. I know a lot about life. Probably more than anybody that there is. Yeah. I hate to brag like I've that. I've seen a lot of life. But it's the truth. Yeah. I've done yeah. that one thing that you know about. That's pretty impressive. If you get to my age and you don't know anything, then your life has been a waste. Right. I told him I need to think it over uh, before becoming his agent. And then Gerald closes and says, you're going to get friends with Gerald. And that's important. Okay. That's great. It. That's a great, uh, that was great. Wow. I'm still, 
Still confused about some things. Like, I want to know what happened with the murder and this Dude, other. I'm confused this about other things. hotel. I'm confused about things that I watched the thing fucking five, six times. But then they also say, like, they also kind of uh, blow out of the proportion. Oh, the hotel was sold many times in between this and the. And it's like, well, no, it was just kind of sold from this guy to 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 Ballard and then Ballard to LeBrand or whatever. And then Lefebvre. Lefebvre. And then back to. There's too many conflicting stories. Yeah, the the post I think is correct in assessing that the sources are shoddy at best. I think my gut tells me he wanted to make this story bigger than it was. He wanted it to act like the story was longer than it was. He probably did this up until he sold the hotel in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, after that poor girl died, he probably felt t- terrible. I'd close up shop right didn't about then. Didn't want to fucking didn't want to make it seem that way because. He can't let people know how bad, like, that he was actually an accessory and he wants to sell his fucking baseball card collection. I think you're taking a huge shot just by selling it and sealing up the fucking vents because the way they showed them, they're shoddy as hell. Someone would be like, Yeah. I mean, can you get away with that? I guess probably. Yeah. Well, it's um, that you can probably get away with. It's this is tough. This is between three and four dockings for me, but I can confidently say it's a must watch film. Um, I'm curious to know if any of our listeners get confused or if they believe that the film directors were purposefully trying to misconstrue Gerald's words in effort to tell a better story. Hmm. That's kind of my other thing. The other thing is I'd like to let you, if you guys have time to respond, let us know if you think it's real, if it's complete bullshit, if gay got taken for a ride or if it's somewhere in the middle. For me, the truth is definitely lying somewhere in the middle on this. Yeah, I, I think as well too. I think there's there's definitely some uh, some illegal activity that, I mean, even this whole stuff with the Aurora shooting, it's like, yeah, let's get your son to do it because we have all this fucking dirt on you. Yeah, but it also tells to me that he's just a bragger, and that was like in That's the news. Part of it too, yeah. And he wanted to make himself more important, <clears throat> so it probably was a lie. Imagine this guy just like straight up took this guy's identity for fucking, and just stole his identity. Imagine. I mean, there's so like, well, see, here's the thing too is like it doesn't explain much about before his life it was oh I was just born on a farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How'd uh, you get into this? How did you get it? Like, how, where'd you get the money? Where did you get it? You went to, to watching farm an- animals fuck to watch to, fucking humans to be, fuck. be able to just build some weird, creepy. Yeah, buying a thing and buy and like this place seems like it, if it's got if it only has twenty one whatever or what a thirty rooms, mm-hmm. but you have thousands of people going through that. That means it's probably a pretty popular, like you said, tourist attraction kind yeah. of place. So the fact that you have to buy that place is already kind of sketchy. Like, I'm assuming he also had another house. Well, there's no real history of his work from, you know, he was born in 39, bought it in 66 or 69. You're 27, 28 around then. How'd you come up with the money to buy the hotel, motel? Yeah. He must have had a job before that. Or maybe he was flipping baseball cards back in the fucking... No, no, no. Those baseball cards were stolen from some fucking people in the Korean War. Yeah. And, uh, or like they, they were dead bodies, like dead soldiers coming back home. And he came back and, and pilfered them. He came back. And I just uh, want to like, pay respects to my. Yes, uh, sir. Yes, sir. I'll, uh, yes, I'll find out. Do you mind out. if I just have a room in uh, a minute in uh, Johnny's room alone so I can remember the war with him? Yeah, for all we fucking know, he, they, that one hotel for one weekend out of, in, in one year, for all we know, yeah. could have just been like a, 
a thing for the who knows the RNC or the Bilderberg Group. It's also and like we're gonna just hold on. We're gonna set up this whole thing for one fucking thing, and then you could keep it afterwards and be a creep. But it's also possible that he could have read about the mur- uh, the woman's murder at the Bean Hotel where it was established <clears throat> at. That's also said, possible. I'm gonna take that story and put it into my hotel interesting you know what i mean yeah. to make my stories even better yes so i think that that could be it that's very a, that's occam's razor right there yeah. the closest the easiest solution i know is probably what the occam's right one. razor means suck dick so anyway um i would love to hear what you guys think and obviously we went a little long today but mm-hmm. sometimes hey you know me dave was, we get in there yeah we get in the we get in the weeds yeah, we'll get there yeah no it's it's a <laughs> It's not any longer than some of our other ones. It's not our longest. Well, for those of you listening, um, as we come to the conclusion of today's program, nothing keeps us going except that your kind words and you know your encouragement and um, your five star reviews. Yes, we hate please. to ask, but we will never stop. And uh, you know, if you don't have Apple, shoot us a, a text or not a text, excuse me, uh, shoot us an email or a DM because we'd love to hear your thoughts. It doesn't matter where they come from. Yeah, At the go- end of the day. You guys are the show, yeah. but you keep us going. That's a wrap. We're going to see you next week with another non-creepy this time documentary. I promise you on that. That's it. We're out. Have a good week, everybody.